Driving that coach. 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 And welcome to another. I'm sorry, folks. That was funny. <laughs> All right, folks, and welcome to another edition of Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. And I'm AJ. All right. And uh, <laughs> we're here on another beautiful evening here in California. It is raining in both of our areas. Uh, he is in Orange County. I'm in Whittier. Uh, but, yeah, so it's raining in both places. We can't go outside and do the podcast like we usually do. Uh, so we have to do inside, and we'll just make it work. That's what it is. Well, I'm, we're, we're all quarantined anyway, so here you go. Exactly. So what we're going to do, we're going to still sit here, and we're going to uh, make some uh, entertaining uh, viewing for you guys, for these, at least for the next few hours, uh, to help you get away from that uh, quarantine blues that everybody has nowadays. Uh, so a little escapism, a little levity, a little fun. You know, what we can, whatever we can do, Help you guys out. Plus, I was actually gonna bring this up. We're actually getting a lot of attention in terms of like my friends on my social media or whatever, because I'm posting a lot of stuff about dropping that culture with JD and AJ. And a couple of my friends are like, hey, I was like, hey, uh, put me on your list or whatever, because he has like a list of like certain podcasts and listen to. It's like, yeah, put you guys on the list. So cool. So we got that. And uh, like I said, we're getting a lot of views, uh, getting a lot of comments. Like I said, we need some subscribers. We need you guys to subscribe, okay? Hey man, we're doing pretty good on subscribers, and I gotta say, our uh, friends out there in Michigan—I mean, that's a, that's a continued and growing community. So, thank you to everyone in Michigan, uh, Alabama, and then of course California is still uh, kind of driving strong for us. So, that's right. Thank you, Michigan, especially Alabama for you, boy. Thank you, and Cali. Uh, we are loving you guys, man. Please continue to support us. We're gonna do our very best to make this bigger and better as we can, but we need your help. So please subscribe. And speaking of which, uh, let's go ahead and mention some of our sponsors. Now, the first sponsor I'm going to mention will be Belserverse on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can go to the Facebook page, go to our Instagram page, the same thing, dropping pop culture news on a daily basis, pretty much. Uh, it's not really much going on right now, but past articles, past things. Actually, I did an article this past weekend on the Hanna-Barbera Fantastic Four series from the 1960s. It is getting a lot of fire in terms of comments, in terms of shares. I was actually surprised at how much is um, going off. You know what I'm saying? And I actually did this for GodHateSkeets.com. I've been doing a series for them for the past few months, and it's doing very well. So go check that out. Also, uh, go to Teespring.com. Go to the Belsaverse store. Get you some of that Belsaverse merch. We've still got some merch on sale. We've got a lot of merch on sale. We're getting some sales. Uh, a little more never hurts. So let's go ahead and get on there. I'm trying to do my best to get you guys some new material so I can uh, uh, make sure everybody has something different, something cool, so you can uh, you know check it out, enjoy it. Tell your friends about it. You know what I'm saying? We post some pictures of people posting some of that Belsaverse stuff. So, hey, support the cause, man. And we also have another sponsor. I'm going to leave that one to AJ. U.S. Hooker, uh, for all of your rugby needs. Uh, right now, I'm guessing everybody's dying for some sports. Uh, if you watch, you know, religiously rugby, um, then, you know, you're pretty much up to date. But if you're a football guy, if you're a, uh, a hockey person, something like that, you must be dying for some fresh content right now. So the good news is 
you haven't watched enough rugby to have seen any of these games that have happened in the last couple of years and uh, even the last few months. A ton of them are available on ESPN+. Plus. Um, so now's the perfect time to learn a new sport, get into it, uh, watch it, enjoy it. Um, go to usoker.com to learn more about uh, the sport of rugby. They'll teach you everything you need to know. Um, in fact, I'm working with them. we got a couple of videos going to be coming out soon to uh, help teach you guys the game of rugby quickly and easily so you can just jump in and enjoy watching these guys beat the hell out of each other and fight for mm. supremacy. So total blast. And while you're there, get a mug, get a T-shirt, get a hat, get some, you know, to uh, support the, the sport and uh, everything they're doing. And actually, I was going to bring this up, too, since we're talking about uh, everybody starving for sports. Sports. Two things. One, uh, and I just revealed this to AJ today, uh, String King, uh, who is a company out here in California, they so, so basically rec, uh, specialize in lacrosse gear, and also they do some rugby, rugby stuff too. They get into baseball bats, and I was able to do a series of commercials with them uh, for their new bats uh, as a fake Barry Bonds, Barry Bombs. So uh, <laughs> those are on. <laughs> Those are on YouTube. They're also on the uh, Dropping Their Culture uh, it's Facebook page, excuse me. And uh, check those out. Like, comment, subscribe. Hopefully, they make this a recurring character. We're it's getting. Yes, it's on Belsaverse as well. So, uh, like, comment, subscribe. Hopefully, you can make this Barry Bombs a recurring character, which they actually have talked to me about because of the fact they're getting a lot of good response for it. You know what? You can be like. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that, actually. <laughs> and uh, also, since we're talking about sports-related, uh, this past weekend, which is actually going to be part of the dropping that, dropping that news thing, but I'm going to talk about it now. Uh, this past weekend was actually WrestleMania. Uh, the WWE actually went ahead with WrestleMania, but they did it in an empty arena, their performance center in Orlando. And it's actually, hands down, the most talked about sports-related event on the internet this past weekend. Because the fact is actually, funny enough, WrestleMania without a crowd was actually pretty good. It surprised me. Like, and then two particular matches in, uh, in, in particular really got a lot of people buzzing because they, they were done and shot cinematically. Like, if you watch, if you watch them, they're like, you know, like, pretty much like a 90s uh, like cable action movie. It's like that. So there's two matches. One was the the Boneyard match with uh, the Undertaker and AJ Styles, which was shot in like some graveyard looking spot. And they shot at different angles and they got, you know, like all the different music. They had music in it. And it was like, <laughs> it was dope, bro. Like it, it was really good. And also the second one, the next night, uh, was just called the Fly Firefly Funhouse match. It wasn't really a match, it was more like an extended skit with uh, John Cena and another character, Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, and they went through all of John Cena's history. They went through was like some of the WWF's old history. Like They actually did a, <laughs> a homage to uh, a show they called uh, Saturday Night's Main Event. That was uh, basically WWE's main show before Monday Night Raw back in the 80s on NBC. Ran by, it was ran by Dick Ebersol. Okay. And they, yeah, they brought it back. They brought it back they, I think they did like the 1985 intro of that. I was like, well, <laughs> and then they brought it back even more to uh, what's it, uh, Monday Nitro. They did, a, they did a, the intro to Monday Nitro. Mm -hmm. It was a really good, very creative ski. You should check it out, man. Like, even though you're not yeah. as big a wrestling fan as me, but in terms of just like cinema shit and pop culture shit, I think you would dig it. I really do. Oh, for sure, man. I'm, I'm dying for, for something new anyway. So, 
Look up, yeah, you can, I think they're both on YouTube. Look up the Boneyard Match. I'll, I'll give you the hashtags a little later. The Boneyard Match and also uh, the Fly Fly Funhouse. Those are really good. Yeah. Sweet. But let's go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead and get to our regular segments, baby. So let's first, <laughs> first off, which is a favorite of AJ and me, <laughs> Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy, where I can connect any major American film star to the great Eddie Murphy off of sheer memory, off the dome. If I have to look it up, I will state so I will look it up. But like for the most part, I'm trying to do it off of sheer memory. And also, we got an intro to that particular segment. <clears throat> it's probably my favorite intro we got. <laughs> All right, so what names you got for me tonight, AJ? I thought I had to try to stump you right off the bat. We're going to go with Corey Feldman. It's not that hard as you think. All right, well, let's see what you got. Okay. Uh, Corey Feldman was in The Lost Boys with... Uh, do I want to go that route? No. No, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not going to go that route. Uh, Corey Feldman was in Gremlins uh, with... <laughs> We love we love Gremlins. <laughs> was in Gremlins with uh shit. Oh, oh yeah, Dick Miller. Uh, was in Gremlins with Dick Miller. Dick Miller was in ah. Dick Miller was in Inner Space with Martin Short. Martin Short was in The Three Amigos with Chevy Chase. Oh no, actually Steve Martin. Steve Martin was in both with Eddie Murphy. There you go. Yeah, barely got there. We were getting close. It was almost past our seven. I had, I had, I had to think there, but you know, I, I got it. I got it. You did just barely. All right, so let me uh, let me see what you can do with somebody a little more modern. Simon Pegg. Ah, okay. Simon Pegg was in. Hmm. Which way I don't want to go, with Simon? Okay, I got it. Simon Pig was in Hot Fuzz with Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton was in the Petition, <laughs> the Beautician and the Beast with Fran Drescher. Fran Drescher was in This Is Spinal Tap with Michael McKeon. Michael McKeon was in Ah, Michael McKeon was in Airheads. With Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis was in Ghostbusters with Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd was in Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. A little simpler than I was hoping. I do have, I think I got a pretty. I had to think, I had to think about that one. Like Michael McKee. Like that, that was a lich pee in here. Michael McKee. But I'm thinking if I go younger, the younger I go, maybe the more difficult it might be. So I'm wondering how you could get there with Zach Efron. Hmm? Zach Efron was in Baywatch with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in Central Intelligence with Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart was in Meet Day with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, as soon as you said Dwayne, I knew I was screwed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you froze. You there? Technical difficulties. Who's this? You back? All right. 
<laughs> I got you. Uh, you're, yeah. you're pissed. You still got me? You still got me? Nah, I got you. Froze? Uh, you froze too. Can you oh, see me? <laughs> okay, okay, I see you now. Okay, we're good now. We're good now. I don't know what that was. Yeah, it was the, maybe, I think it's the rain, but yeah, like I said, it's raining on right now, so you might see that, folks, but we're good. We got the seven degrees. We're gonna power through. This is by no means our most technically challenged production. Oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Not this in episode one. We should really just pull that one down. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that was seven degrees of Eddie Murphy. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. WWBS, what will Busey say? Uh, Do an improvised rant as the great Gary Busey. Now, AJ, what subject is Gary ranting about tonight? Well, I figured we could pose Gary a question and see where, where he takes it. So the question is, penguins, playful clown of the Antarctic or... Stuck up non flying birds. <sighs> penguins. What do I think about penguins stuck up or clownish? Well, look at the penguin. The penguin's basically a living, breathing little tuxedo little motherfucker. The penguin mocks you, he waddles to you. Doesn't even acknowledge it if he wants to. I don't think much of penguins. To be honest with you, I think they're just dirty, flightless little fucking birds. You know, at least like like animals like ostriches or like ocelots are actually more interesting to see. But a penguin, all they do is shuffle around, man. What kind of bullshit is that? Making me shuffle around in my face, making me feel insecure about myself because you're a fucking penguin in your little tuxedo shoe. I'm just weird old fucking Gary Busey. Fuck penguins. Penguins ain't shit. Okay? But the only penguin I actually like is fucking Burgess Meredith. Okay? Burgess Meredith was a dope ass penguin. Wham, wham on the motherfucker. You hear me? Wham, wham. He actually made me feel that penguin shit, man. Fuck a Danny DeVito. It was too gross. And I know gross. I actually once slept with Roseanne Barr and Paula Poundstone. So I know gross. And Danny DeVito was fucking gross. Jesus, with the bile coming out of his mouth. And talking about, you know, molesting fucking interns and shit. What the hell kind of shit was that? There, there was a kid's meal attached to that fucking movie, man. Come on. Be a little responsible here. Uh tired of blood. You know, I was expecting them to have a problem with their lack of knees, but <laughs> the, lack of knee, the lack of knees. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like the way we ended up going. It was it went a little more uh, entertainment than I expected. You want to hear about gross having a threesome with Paula Poundstone or Rosie O'Donnell? Or Rosie Bars you. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> that was some meat slapping in that shit right there, man. Trying to get that image out of your head there, kids. <laughs> well, that was... Uh, <laughs> once again. 
Oh, yeah, Gary Busey. And now let's get to another segment, Dropping That News. Dropping That News. All right. Uh, again, because of the goddamn coronavirus, ain't really much to uh, speculate on. The only thing that really happened to note that I caught yesterday was uh, the death of uh, Honor Blackman, who played uh, Bond Girl, Pussy Galore, and Goldfinger with Sean Connery in like 1963, 64. Uh, she passed away uh, yesterday from, uh, I think, just old age, uh, at the age of 94. Uh, Again, she's pretty much, in a lot of people's eyes, she pretty much set the standard for a lot of the Bond girls, especially with the, you know, super androgynous name. Because, you know, after Pussy Glory, you got, you know, uh, Holly Goodhead, uh, Xenia Unatop. Uh, <laughs> what's the other one? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, Plenty O'Toole, which is my favorite, because she had a really good team. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, just names like that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. what's the chick from, um, from Russia with Love? Uh, oh yeah, Triple uh, X, Asian Triple X. <laughs> little on the nose, little on the nose, but effective. <laughs> yeah, man. And also, uh, just a couple other things because a lot of the celebrities right now. One thing I actually noticed that we have not talked about was uh, a lot of the talk shows now are doing you know, Zoom, just like we're doing right now with us other celebrities. Uh, Jimmy Fallon's doing it a lot. Uh, uh, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, and they're doing some really creative things. They're keeping it going, you know, in their own way. It's not the same. I know it's not the same as the but live. No, because I mean, they basically it looks like the same quality as what you and I are doing. Yeah, it does actually. Mm-hmm. It really does. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think they did one yesterday with like Lady Gaga. I've seen a bunch of weird ones where they just you just. Just following the celebrity through their house because that's really all they can do. Just go through their house and shit. Hey, look at all the neat um, shit. <laughs> yeah, check out all the neat shit I have in my in my house. Quarantine must suck for you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of talk shows are doing that, and also, like I said, we talked about the uh, one sports related thing that happened this weekend: WrestleMania 36. Uh, actually, two nights. Um, uh, that they because they say the event was too big. For one night, mainly because of the fact they had so much shit, they had to spread it over two nights. So it was two nights worth of entertainment. Uh, a lot of great matches, especially if you're a fan of that kind of stuff. And like I said, it was the most social uh, event of this past weekend. Um, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that's the one thing they're talking about the most was WrestleMania 36. So kudos to them to, you know, still get, still entertain people in this you know crazy time right now. There's actually one thing that uh, I think is missing so far from the news uh, that you and I need to point out. Quibi. Quibi just launched. That's right. Been yeah, Quibi. yeah, with their... Actually, that's very... It's very anticlimactic launch considering everything that's going on right now. It's like, well, they, they definitely have the media story like pulled out from under them and they're trying to retool the way that they're doing their marketing portion of the launch. What makes them unique yeah. among all the other streamers is that they design from the word go uh, content to be displayed on mobile devices. So it's not meant to be watched on your TV. It's not meant to be watched on your computer. It's meant entirely to go on a phone. Um, and actually, I've, I've heard a couple of guys. Um, there's some, some guys that uh, were uh, fellow alumnus that were talking about did, a, I think, it was some sort of a thriller for Quibi. And they were saying it was a, a really big difficulty to shoot because they're having to shoot everything with 16.9 inverted 
And then of course, back to horizontal. So you're going back and forth because the idea is if you're watching this at home, you can mm. be watching like this, turn it sideways, it'll automatically adjust. So you basically can choose what format in terms of um, your aspect ratio you want to watch the show in, and you can switch back and forth live. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And that's well, without bar yeah. to the top or on the sides or anything. The real thing that's really taking off right now is uh, TikTok. Everybody's got a goddamn TikTok video. I don't either. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the real thing that's taking off right now. TikTok, of course, like all the different shows is on Netflix. So they, they, they've had in the can, but soon it's going to come come to a point, which we talked about before, it's going to the point where they're going to not have anything in the can. they got to come up with some new shit. But this thing has to clear up, you know what I'm saying, so we, everybody can get back to work in more ways than one, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but yeah, like did you still like watching like Tiger King and uh the movie I watched last night, uh Coffee Kareem and Coffee or Coffee and Kareem, I believe was the name of it. It was okay. Uh but like for like a starved mass, I'm pretty sure like a lot of people are loving it. It was just okay to me. So uh yeah, a lot of that stuff going around. And uh they they add they add more stuff to uh to Netflix, so like a lot of the old Police Academy movies, like a lot of the different stuff, like, oh yeah, they added Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is a real pleasure to see. You've been watching <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> as long as you see him in your dreams. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Just leaning in. Uh, but don't do that, please. all right so uh that's really all i got for the news you got anything else man nah man that was it all right cool let's uh let's go ahead and get into the meat and potatoes of this motherfucker man now uh we didn't really post what's up what you didn't do that oh oh oh, i'm sorry i gotta do that i'm sorry Dropping the news, I mean, they ruined it. You made me go through all that, and you gonna <laughs> give me that luck luckluster ass. Was... Fuck you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made me feel bad, actually. <laughs> Asshole. Is that your dog wandering in the background, by the way? Uh, no, that would be my dog breathing in the background. He's asleep. Oh, he's breathing. Oh, yes. <laughs> He's a bulldog, man. That's the way they sound. That's how AJ dogs sound. That's him just chilling. What is him asleep? When he's chilling, he doesn't make noise. When he's sleeping, he starts snoring. So he's got a sleep apnea. It's a deviated septum. It's not his fault. <laughs> Your dog's congested. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. For, All right. So into the meat potatoes already. Meat potatoes. Get to the meat potatoes. Okay. <laughs> now, our subject for this particular podcast tonight is one that we uh, we're both big fans of. A lot of people are fans of, and the one that you know we want to discuss amongst ourselves. A couple of these actually have their own episodes to themselves, but we decided to just dissect a couple of our favorite ones: spoof movies. For those of you not familiar with the concept of a spoof movie, think of, you know, Airplane, 
the naked gun, you know, uh, hot shots, you know, which we're going to be talking about tonight. The, the concept of certain, yeah, yeah, exactly. The movies that you know that make fun of movies, well, make fun of pretty much pop culture in general. Like you know, what I'm saying you see a movie, you see all these crazy sight gags and silly like silliness or whatever. It's supposed to be a serious situation, but then some craziness happens right in the middle of it, and they just keep going, just keep moving. You know what I'm saying? And it's always hilarious to see. You know, like how, how far they can go in terms of the like silliness and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we can talk about a couple of the creators who are more or less indicative with these particular movies. Now, the first one comes to mind would be Mel Brooks, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the reason uh, I also want to note to this, we're not doing Mel Brooks uh, on this particular podcast because we feel Mel Brooks is a podcast all to himself. Well, I've, I mean, my honorable mentions of Mel Brooks, but yeah. Yeah, his honorable mention is a Mel Brooks, but in terms of like the bulk of Mel's work, we're going to save that for a whole episode. That's a whole episode by itself. So, so, uh, so well, we'll uh, be focused on. There were several so, films we should say that we've talked about. We're going to offline and do individual ones. Like, for example, Black Dynamite, that's its own podcast yes. of itself. Blazing and also, apart and aside from Mel Brooks, is its own thing. And also, uh, same thing, uh, another uh, group that's known for these type of movies, The Wayans Family. We want to put that one to the side, too. The that's same thing. Whole nother podcast, okay? Uh, so we're going to focus on just our favorites of the genre ourselves and a couple of the ones that are not, some of, some of them are the, uh, well-known, some of them are, that are not as well-known, but we'll talk about them and how much they make us laugh. We'll talk about our favorite scenes and also facts about these movies, etc. Uh, so like I said, certain people are known for these particular movies, Mel Brooks, the Zucker Brothers, which which have a few uh, movies on this particular list that we have, and of course the Wayans family, but other people have done spoof movies as well, not as successful as those particular entities, but they've done them. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I remember in recent years they tried like superhero movie and like, uh, not another team. One I did like that was not like one of those guys, not another team movie. I actually like like that yeah, that one, that was, and then like what was the other one? There was uh, something about the Spartans, and then I know there was some guys. Oh, meet, down meet here the Spartans. From, yeah, and then there was some guys from down here in Costa Mesa made um, the three hundred and five, and it was basically about the five Spartans that didn't make it. They got lost on a separate goat path or something. It was basically like the Office meets the Spartans or three hundred. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, people have tried to make spoof movies. It's a very very different type of art and like like I say it takes a lot of patience to do these type of movies because like you got so many sight gags you got a million things going on on the screen as opposed to just the two actors you got like something in the background you got some weird saying in the background somebody's doing something weird uh, you'll see a movie where somebody's like doing taking pictures or some shit in the background you gotta you gotta pay attention for a spoof movie especially to get the jokes and shit. Now, you know, I never did ask but did you think um, or do you think that uh, Strange Brew would that be spoof? Because it's kind of spoofing being Canadian. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't necessarily I mean, call it. Right there on the edge because they have a lot of those extra little sight gags and some weird stuff happening. Yeah, it is very much on the edge. They I break call the fourth it. wall. They like do that whole thing, like cool special effects A and all that stuff. One thing I will say that kind of separates a spoof movie, especially in terms of what you're doing, spoof, movie is, spoof movies are usually based on something else. Uh, Strange Rue, I think, is his own thing. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. That's one. I mean, I think that's a clear and important distinction to make for people so they kind of understand where we're going with it and kind of the way people break it down. Because, like, we originally, when we first started talking, before we even said spoof, we started talking about situational comedy and then we went to spoof. 
Because even that can be, I mean, that's a fine line. Very much so. Yeah. But like I said, for this particular, these particular lists, they're based on like a certain genre or certain movie or like uh, maybe a certain series of movies. Like take, for example, Don't Be a Menace from South Central based on you know, gangster movies, Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, et cetera, et cetera. Scary movie based on like those teen slasher movies of the early 2000s, uh, Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, going back to like Johnny Dangerously, the gangster movies from like the 1930s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, what's another good one? Another good You know, it's almost uh, to describe them as a satire of existing genre. Yes. That'd be a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. But yeah, so we're going to go through some of our favorite ones and also we're going to go over favorite scenes of those particular movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I'm going to go ahead and start off our little list that we have here with a big favorite of both you and me. Airplane. Mm. I love directed by the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams, three, three people. Uh, and basically they started together uh, uh, out here in LA for the Kentucky fried with the Kentucky fried theater that they had out here. Basically same thing. They did a whole theater where they had skits just like that movie. You know what I'm saying? Just weirdo stuff like that. And of course, eventually the Zucker brothers uh, eventually got their first movie, which will be the Kentucky fried movie directed by another person we've covered on this podcast, John Landis. Mm-hmm. That that became kind of an underground cult hit, you know what I'm saying? Like a one of those midnight movies, you know what I'm saying? That you see, like it's, it's kind of it's very dull and extremely funny and very vulgar and crazy side gags. But it was the start, really, for both of those entities, both John Landis and for the Zucker Brothers. So it was a launching pad. But because of the success of the Kentucky Fried movie, they eventually segue into this thing here, airplane. Now, uh, for inspiration, they actually look, uh, they would like uh, leave the videotape running all night and they would watch like old television, late, late, late night TV, the commercials and the movies. And then one particular night, one particular night, they actually recorded the movie Zero Hour, which is actually the main basis of, of uh, Airplane. The whole plot of, you know, people getting sick and stuck on this airplane and there's no pilot, that came from Zero Hour. And it was like in 1957. So like, but it, but you remember there was a whole little thing of like airplane, airport movies, and you know, airport seventy five, airport seventy seven. Well, then you even have to also give it to television too, because you have uh, what was it uh, terror at uh, twenty thousand feet or whatever? Yeah, the shit from like, uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you, it, it had been an ongoing area to play kind of some interesting games about you know terror and stuck and you know no pilot or some sort of mechanical figure that sort. Of Oh, like, what are you, what are you going to do? There's no pilot. You know what I'm saying? All these people are sick. You know, I can't, you know, yeah, we're kind of living zero hour right now. Just like, we're just not in an airplane. So, but we're definitely a country, uh, definitely a country is a plane without a proper pilot right now. It's it's like we're more living airplane, except for not on an airplane rather than zero hour. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but again, zero hour is the main inspiration for airplane. Uh, they actually said they wanted to originally write it as a movie within a movie. Like, it's sort of a sequel to the Kentucky Fire movie. So, but then they decided to just go ahead and make it a full-length feature. Um, actually, funny enough, uh, the Zucker Brothers and Jim Abrams actually picked actors like Robert Stack and Lloyd Bridges, Peter Graves, Leslie Nielsen, because of their reputation as no-nonsense actors. They were all, you know, all classic old-school actors, like, Peter Graves, Mission Impossible, you know, Leslie Nielsen from Forbidden Planet and a bunch of other shit. Uh, Robert Stack from like, oh yeah, what, wasn't he Elliot Ness? Yeah. I mean, the Touchables TV show. Yeah, Elliot, yeah, that 
straight laced Elliot Ness. <laughs> and uh, I forgot, uh, and then Lloyd Bridges from God knows how many movies, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, straight laced, classically, classic known actors, you know what I'm saying? So, the, the, uh, also because of the fact that none of these actors had done comedy and then their reputation of being like straight arrow or whatever, because of the fact uh, that delivery of uh, all the different lines, all the ridiculous lines or whatever, because they're straight actors, made it even funnier because like these classic great actors say this ridiculous shit. <laughs> like uh, Lloyd Bridges and McCroskey with the, uh, all the different things. Or <sighs> get the hell of a day to quit. And they seen get the hell of a day to quit cocaine. <laughs> they seen get the hell of a day to quit barbiturates. <laughs> Get the hell of a day to quit sniffing glue. Glue. Get me Rex Kramer. And then oh yeah, when he's sitting there at the desk, and there's a picture of him also sitting at the desk. <laughs> 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 That's stuff like that, man. It's just silly shit like that. But, but he, yeah, it really, yeah, those guys delivering that that crazy dialogue really made this movie, man. It made it more poignant and made it more not more funny. Now most of them, particularly, uh, particularly Lloyd Bridges, were very reluctant to do this movie. I think I think the ones that really didn't want to do the movie were Lloyd Bridges and Peter Graves. And funny enough, Lloyd Bridges only did it because Jeff and Bo Bridges persuaded him to do it. I mean, it, it, it pays to have good family members. <laughs> That's right, baby. All great actors too. Bo Bridges, Jeff Bridges, Lloyd Bridges, all of them great. And <laughs> uh, also Peter Graves, because of fact he's known for being, you know, the conservative leading man from Mission Impossible and different things like that. He actually dismissed the script as disgusting crap. But then his agent was like, uh, "Look, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he actually got, uh, got a call from his agent to discuss uh, the movie from the producer Harold Koch, uh, which Peter did. Well, Peter Graves did end up accepting." Uh, then towards the end of the movie, this meeting or whatever, apparently Peter Graves had lightened his tone once he understood that he was also playing uh, a spoof of himself, like Leslie Nielsen and Robert Stack, especially when you heard that Leslie Nielsen and Robert Stack were attached to this movie. He was like, okay, so he's playing parody on myself. He was like, okay, I get it. Okay. So he went with that and he had a great time doing it. He actually, yeah, he, he said he, uh, he read it. <laughs> He signed up because his friends and his family had read the script too, and they thought it was hilarious. And they said, "You know what? Do it, please do it." It turned out to be one of the best career moves you ever had, man. Peter Graves. Oh, it's true. Oh yeah, man. Was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Captain Over. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, Roger. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's your vector, Victor? Vector, Victor. Right. <laughs> yeah. We need some clearance, Clarence. <laughs> Man, well, yeah. that, that shit where you've got the uh, the voiceover uh, people outside the red zone and the white zone having that argument back oh, and forth. Yeah, the argument. Yeah, the red zone is promoting only. No, the white zone. It gets crazier. It gets crazier and crazier too. If you listen to it, like at one point, like the girls, like I, we know what this is about. You want me to get an abortion? It's the best <laughs> way. <laughs> well, what's insane was those two apparently really did the voiceover for the announcements at LAX at the time, and they're actually married in real life. Married, yeah. <laughs> I read that too. Like, really? <laughs> they convinced them to do that shit? But yeah, they they were great, man. Like, so you listen to it real hard, like, wow. <laughs> well, see, but here, just as a quick aside, right? The mm-hmm. best thing about a really well-written comedy is that the more you watch it, the more you learn. 
Like the mm-hmm. first Hangover movie, partly because people were laughing so much in the movie theater, I had to go back and watch it three or four times to get all the jokes. I mean, mm-hmm. like another example, fantastic about Arrested Development. There's jokes buried in there that only make sense after you've seen the entire season. You go back, like you miss them. Like it doesn't, it doesn't slow anything down. It's just part of the dialogue keeps going. But you'll find those hidden gems after, after mm-hmm. you've seen the whole season because you're like, oh my god, like that that line right there foreshadows something that's three episodes in the future and you have no idea and it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to writing stuff like that, where they're able to bury it and layer it, that's what makes that stand the test of time. Got a stew going, babe. <laughs> that is my that is my favorite Arrested Development anything is Carl Weathers being cheap Carl Weathers I gotta be honest it's my favorite Carl Weathers really? yeah <laughs> he's so ridiculous like the caricature he paints of himself yeah creating <laughs> uh, too it's just freaking hilarious well I'm still I'm, I'm a fan of pretty much everything that Carl has done and we have a mutual friend that knows Carl I'm not going to say his name but I'm saying I've been begging this motherfucker since we've known him to bring Carl to the store <laughs> <laughs> seriously bring Carl to the shop I have. I think it's because of the fact he knows I have so many questions <laughs> I will bug the fuck out of uh, Carl Weathers just because of the fact I'm such a big fan uh, and like I said, I love I love Carl Weathers. Like I can go down the list, but for me, I just because I'm such a I'm honestly like I'm such a pushover for comedy. Mm-hmm. So hilarious in that series. It just I can't help it, man. It just beats out everything else for me. Him and Lazo Manella getting a stew going. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> yeah, we we'll just get a stew going. You know? <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it sounds disgusting. <laughs> That's a weird image, though. Carl Weathers busting down Liza Minnelli. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, they some, and, they got, and after that, they go eat some stew. <laughs> Everybody in that show with Liza Minnelli is a weird image. <laughs> okay, okay. But <laughs> back to the airplane. Back, back, back to the movie, back to the movie. Okay. All right, so uh, this is a famous segment, man. The fucking jive talk segment with the two black dudes talking jive and nobody understands them. <laughs> <laughs> and then the funny thing about it is I, I listen to that jab talk a lot of this shit I don't know what the hell they're saying but there's a few things like okay I get that I understand that I, yeah that thing I don't know but like I understand that <laughs> like, I got that one but the uh, jab talk was actually improvised by the two actors Al White and Norman Gibbs and uh, because of the fact that uh, Zucker Brothers were not particularly proficient in terms of writing black black slang language so uh, yeah, so they basically came. They uh, they actually explained how they came up with the dialect in uh, one of the special features for Airplane, and uh, <laughs> like uh, that, that, the funny the funniest thing they think of is because the fact they talk the jive and then the subtitle in English. Slack them yakko. Slack them yakko. All that shit always gets. <laughs> Something's up, hey, bro. Give it down to the bone. Give it down. Uh, Cause say he can't hang. You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, uh, what's the name? Yeah, oh, what's the name? Barbara Billingsley. What was it? 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 
Barbara Billings. This is such a weird dichotomy. Like these two black dudes talking jive, ridiculous jive, and then all of a sudden, fucking the mom from Leave It to Beaver just comes over. And is able to understand them. <laughs> Translates. Oh, <laughs> Actually, funny enough, if you watch the Kentucky Fried movie, the dude that plays uh, what's the shit, uh, Wally. He's in that movie. Wally, I think Wally and some other guy playing the Beave are actually in the Kentucky Fried movie. <laughs> and they're playing and they're playing Wally and the Beef. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so uh the doctor, Dr. Rumack, was Leslie Nielsen's first comedic role. Uh he said he was delighted to get the offer, uh, fearing that he was too old to play anything but you know, elderly grandfather parts at that point. Uh, they actually wanted Dom DeLuise for the doctor. Uh, An interesting. Yeah, but uh, let's see. Here again. The Zucker brothers decided to go with Nielsen because of the fact that, you know what I'm saying, they, they liked him more and they prevailed. And of course, it led to a whole fucking new career. Leslie Nielsen, mainly crazy ass spoof movies like this. You know what I'm saying? Like he made like God knows how many, pretty much to the rest of to the end of his life, he made yeah. basically spoof movies. Some more successful than others, but. Yeah, he became the spoof king, man. You know, and not just, you know, Naked Gun, which we're going to talk about at length, but, like, other ones, like, Repossessed, with him, and like, when they did, like, the weird thing in the, like, it was, like, early 90s, and it was, like, the weird exorcist thing where uh, they brought back Linda Blair as the, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then at one point, they're doing a wrestling match, and you see Jesse the Body Ventura and Mean Gene Oakley, and I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> it was such a weird, and then the, what's the other one? Uh, another one of Mel Brooks movies, Dracula, dead and loving it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> My favorite one, probably of the nine Nick Gunn, was a Spy Hard. Yeah. Mainly because of the, you know, Spy Hard with the fucking uh, Weird Al, yeah, yeah, long yeah. ass uh, sequence. Yeah. Spy Hard, you're watching Spy Hard. And then the bad guy was fucking Andy Griffin. <laughs> Now, Andy Griffith as this, like, megalomaniac with a metal arm. It, it's all... It's so it was good for everybody, man. <laughs> man. Yeah, that was, that was funny. Uh, um, actually, uh, the guy, uh, Steven Zucker, who was the guy that would come in and he would, like, say little lines and then pop off, all that stuff was improv. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that. He was uh, Johnny or whatever, right? Yeah, Johnny. And Steven's getting larger. He's <laughs> just going. <laughs> All this stuff was improv, man. That was, that was a weird character. Now, first two days of the movies, like, gross when they entered theaters, actually was the entire uh, production budget for the movie. Well, they, That's how much money it made. Well, that's also how cheap it was. <laughs> it was like, I think it was like $3 million Yeah, overall. even for back then, it was a pretty cheap film. True, yeah. Um, so it was, oh yeah, like I said, now the jive lady, we should talk about Barbara Billings, who was actually originally intended to be Harriet Nelson from the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. That's what they wanted originally. That would have been interesting. She turned it down because she's actually concerned about the movie's language and all the adult stuff in it. Uh, of course, she was replaced by Barbara Billingsley. And uh, Apparently, uh, Harriet Nelson actually admitted to uh, Robert Hayes to do the play Ted Striker that she regrets taking that role, not taking the role. I bet. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it did. I, it did some good stuff with Barbara Billingsley too. So I once I once heard someone say that uh, when it comes to being an actor, you're going to end up regretting the roles you don't take more than the ones you do. Yeah, now, we talked about that before with uh, you know Bill Murray and Jack Nicholson, all the roles they could have had, but they turned down, and they turned out to be great. And of course, we talked about it with Eddie Murphy too. All yeah. those people have certain roles that you know, like it looks like whatever. Sometimes on paper, and then you see the actual finished product. Like, Shit, I should have did that. Yeah, but then again, the other question too is: if you swap somebody out, are they going to have the same magic, the same fire? Is it going to all come together the same way? I mean, who knows? That's the sad part about Hollywood. It's, if it's if it's meant to be, it was meant to be. Yeah. So, got to move on. Simple as that. Uh, also, uh, the one dance sequence where they had Stand Alive in the bar when, uh, when uh, Ted and Elaine meet. Uh, oh. They actually got permission to, from the BGs to use Stand Alive, and they actually sped it up for the purpose of this particular. Uh, they, yeah, they actually had to get permission to speed it up to to use it. So, yeah, they're pretty tight about that. Yeah, and also uh, the casting of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as uh, <laughs> Roger Murdoch. Was actually a direct reference to uh, apparently a football player named Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch had a role in Zero Hour, so it's a direct reference. That makes so. sense. <laughs> hey, I know you. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> you must be having a mistaken, little boy. I am Roger Murdoch. I'm the co-pilot. <laughs> Oh yeah, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, man. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a weird movie, man. Mm, yeah. Uh, apparently, oh yeah. Apparently, when they first pitched, uh, go, wait, wait, was talking that? about the pilots, the automatic pilot. Oh my god. Oh, auto. Yeah, auto. I'm gonna get to auto. I'm gonna get to auto. Blow up pilot. Yeah, I'm gonna get to auto. Um, now, apparently, when they actually pitched this movie to Paramount, initially they pitched it as Animal House on a plane. It's obviously not what it is. No, nope. it was, but it was what they were trying to do to gain interest. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's not even close to Animal House on a plane. It's hilarious. Uh, it's a whole nother movie. It's a whole still, still, still is raunchy, still is hilarious, but it's a whole nother movie. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. And uh, actually, uh, they, the Zucker Brothers and Jim Abrams all passed on doing Airplane 2, the sequel, which is another spook movie, uh, because they were actually, they, they felt they exhausted every airplane gag they could for this movie. It was a good call. It was a very good call. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen uh, Airplane 2, is basically, well, they try to make it the exact same movie, but they got some other old actors in it. So they got like uh, John Vernon and, uh, a couple other people, but yeah, the main villain uh, or the main like antagonist in the movie is William Shatner, which is about the only thing it's really got going for it. Exactly. So instead of uh, airplane, this time it actually is a space shuttle headed to like the moon or something along those lines. I believe that's the name of it. You should just yeah, call it Moonraker. <laughs> Bond in space. We're doing a Moonraker episode. We got to do a Moonraker. We should do a whole, you know, once we start doing watch-alongs again, we should do a whole month of just Bond movies. A whole month of Bond movies? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, just like pick one. Each of us pick one or whatever. Like maybe like a Bond 
a Bond a week? Hey, what's our favorite? What's 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 a favorite Connery movie of ours, or what's a favorite Moore movie? Favorite Dalton movies? Only two of them. Should, shouldn't be too damn hard. Uh, which one's uh, next? I'm gonna go with the other one. <laughs> we had the fucking we had the rock paper scissors for fucking Timothy. <laughs> All right, license to kill. <laughs> Living daylights, ready? <laughs> What'd you do? I can't say. <laughs> all right, all right. You, you, you want to do it? For real? Go for it. All right, cool. All right, so if I get it, we're going to do best out of three. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot, and then show what we got. I'm going for Living Daylights. You're going for License to Kill. Okay, but we're just going to do sudden, sudden Death. No best out of three. You sure? Yeah. Just one? Just one. Okay, here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah, show you shit. Okay, I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> I can't show you shit. I can't see. All right, ready? 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 Yep. Rock, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> All right. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> All right, here we go. Right, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Fuck! <laughs> All right, so when we do Timothy Dawn, we're watching License to Kill. All right. Fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I'm, like, I'm upset. I like both of them. I, don't I know. I'm just saying, it's like, what's yeah, the like downside? You get to watch a Bond film? <laughs> I get to watch a Bond movie, yeah. Whoa. Whoa is me. <sighs> it's not the bomb movie I want to watch, even though I've seen every goddamn single one of them. Even though you've memorized every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you how you want geeks who drink. That's right. That's a very good point. All right, back to this. I'm really, I'm really liking this podcast. This is fun. <laughs> Okay, uh, so uh, the dialogue scene between Stryker and Room at the famous scene that everybody knows, surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. That <laughs> shit was actually voted number 79 on AFI's uh, 100, greatest movie, 100 greatest movie quotes. I mean, honestly, you can't go anywhere without running into it. I mean, hell, like, that was one of Michael Scott's go-tos in the office. Yeah, I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> I like you said that shit. <laughs> He's not calling you Shirley. He says Shirley. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's such a crazy little line. And then, like, because of fact, it's just delivered with such intensity from Leslie Nielsen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just so funny. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Since we talked about Peter Graves and Captain Over and all that. Now, did you know the original line for when the kid asked, like, have you been in the copy before you know what the original line was? No. I'm scared. It was already. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, there's a scene where they have a little boy come into the, who's never been into an airplane cockpit before, come into the cockpit and visit the pilots. The main pilot, Captain Overall, Peter Graves, uh, takes a liking to the boy. Hey, Jimmy, you're, well, Timmy or Jimmy, whatever boy's name, you ever been in an airplane before? Uh, no, you ever been in a cockpit before? No, I've never been in an airplane before. And the line is, uh, ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> well, <laughs> later, and then later on, there's the other one where he comes back with him too, and he asks him, uh, have you ever been to a Turkish bath Turkish bath before? No, Turkish prison. 
Turkish prison. Sorry, that's what it was. Yeah. Hey, you ever been to a, but, but after that, he, uh, you, ever been to a, yeah, you ever been to a gymnasium? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what was the original? The original scene is, have you ever seen a grown man's cock? <laughs> That doesn't that ever make sense. You ever that, seen was the, that was the original line, bro. That was better. It, it needed that rewrite. <laughs> you ever seen a grown man make it? <laughs> you ever seen, you ever watch movies about gladiators? <laughs> so gross. Hey, hey. <laughs> All right. Uh, but since you brought them up, let's talk about auto, the automatic pilot. Now, they actually kept auto. Uh, Jerry Zucker did. He kept Otto for years, but apparently, uh, ultimately, poor Otto uh, disintegrated from just being kept in a garage for years. Well, I mean, he was made out of plastic. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the, uh, when he f- deflates and she has to inflate him through the manual belt, <laughs> it's a little too on his belt. Pull it out and blow on it. <laughs> <laughs> And she starts blowing him and the face starts turns into a smiley face. And he's like, oh yeah, I did let me use some steps in on it. Closes the door, walks back out. That shit was too funny. And then afterwards they're smoking a cigarette together. <laughs> Her and Otto. Oh man. Uh funny enough, uh uh Robert Hayes, Ted Stryker, uh was actually a, is actually a real life pilot. He's actually a licensed pilot. Is that Judy? Mm-hmm. My hey, wife. Judy. Judy. You say hey, Judy can say hey on the show. You can say hey on the show. Hi guys. Oh. Hi Judy. How are you? <laughs> Chilling. <laughs> Same. Yeah, there's really nothing else we can do right now. Not much else. Exactly. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh yeah, Robert Hayes is actually a real life pilot. <laughs> Apparently, he, apparently he completed his training right before he actually did the movie. So well, he, was already, he looked natural. So he was already a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> now apparently, uh, there actually was a lawsuit, uh, well, a threatened lawsuit going on with this movie. Uh, apparently, Universal Studios threatened to sue after they found out they were trying to get uh, Helen Reddy to repeat her uh, role as singing nun from Airport Seventy Five. Uh-huh. We try to get her into the movie. <laughs> And uh, also uh, George, and they also got they also were trying to get uh, George Kennedy, who was also in that movie. He was one of the pilots in Airport Seventy Five. Uh, now he they didn't get uh, George Kennedy for this movie, but of course we, they would get George Kennedy later uh, as Ed in the Nick Gun movies. So they got him eventually. Yeah, but, but they, they make, it probably made for a lot less lawsuit to go to the Nick Gun movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, still, yeah, it, it is what it is, man. They they let it go once they once they you know went with somebody else, somebody else. So like we were talking about the budget, the but the movie actually cost three point five million dollars altogether and took only thirty four days to make altogether. That's not bad at all. Not for everything they got in there. Yeah. Oh yeah, and this is one of my favorite scenes. The I got to get out of here with the fucking chick starts the hysterical cut, the hysterical passenger. Everybody starts coming and taking a turn, knocking it down. Apparently that was actually improvised on the spot. The original scene, which is actually from uh, a scene in uh, Zero Hour, uh, <laughs> where apparently they called for a stewardess to calm down a customer, and then another customer tells the stewardess he'll be able to 
calm her down and then slaps her, and then it just ends there. That's that's in the original movie Zero Hour. However, in this movie, they decided to extend it. And actually, the lady who was like hysterical was actually suggesting to the directors, like, hey, you should make this keep going long and then form it like a slap line for a whole bunch of people trying to do <laughs> different shit to her. Uh, and then like they added, then they started, they they added props to it. So you see people with like boxing gloves and like <laughs> crowbars and chains and shit about to knock this lady out. Uh, also, apparently during the rehearsal, Leslie Nielsen, uh, when he slapped her, he actually slapped the shit out of her for real. <laughs> the uh, the part where he does the second slap, yeah, that was that was that was, that was all improvised by him. Like pop, and then like <laughs> he, just, he actually slapped her. It's one of those things that proves why you actually need stunt performers. <laughs> Say that again. It's one of those things that actually proves why you need stunt performers. Yeah, but. It, Hey, it worked out well because it's a classic scene. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, the, the one scene where they're landing and there's a one lady trying to apply her makeup, whatever, <laughs> like, it's, like it's all over her face. That's actually the Zucker brothers' mother. Oh, really? Oh, that's it's her mom. Yeah, she she's got all of them. <laughs> that's their mom. So, and actually, she will she, she's gonna show up again too. I'll, I'll show you that a little bit later. Uh, also, uh, Ethel Merman, when they got her in there, <laughs> when they was in the, when it was in the, with the, the war with all the injured soldiers, and then the one, one soldier thinks he's Ethel Merman. <laughs> You'll be swell. You'll be great. You'll have your whole life on the plate. Because everything's coming up. <laughs> war as hell. <laughs> That's a funny fucking scene. But yeah, apparently it took her. Um, apparently she. Uh, <laughs> they had, they get they brought her there early that morning, but she didn't get on set till noon because it took the whole morning just to do her hair. So, all right. <laughs> okay, Elsa. Uh Apparently, a year after the movie's release. Uh, Woody Allen actually went on to the Zucker Brothers at a Knicks game and said how much he loves his music. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's some positive feedback. Yeah, man. And then apparently because of the fact they were actually inspired by a lot of Woody Allen's like earlier comedies. So they, like, they were actually touched by the cinema. So it's nice. You know what I'm oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's another thing. Uh, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar part was actually supposed to be Pete Rose. Now was that before or after his issues? <laughs> I believe it was. I'm shit. I never really specified. I believe. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering if they dumped him around the he same still, time and got too hot. He was still playing baseball at the time, so I think it might have been before. Okay, so he was just too busy. Yeah. So, and they actually offered him thirty five thousand dollars to appear in the movie, but he actually asked for thirty five thousand because he wanted to buy an Orium. You know, if uh, if they'd gotten Pete Rose in there, they'd actually have something going for a streak, a pretty negative streak for athletes or former athletes who appear in their films. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> they, got, they got OJ in the naked gun. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they kind of ended up dodging a metaphor. I, I never even thought about that. Oh, my God. Kind of works out, right? <laughs> point shaver and a gambler and a murderer. All <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Okay, okay, we'll, we'll get to the other disgraced sports star a little bit later. <laughs> I never even thought about that. Like, wow, yeah, they, yeah. they should have Look, they, they got Supreme and it's fantastic, and the man's an institution, so. It was meant to happen. Simple as that. It was meant to happen. Now, the singing nun they have in that is actually Marie McGovern, the singer. Yeah. And she, of course, she's best known for uh, the shit from uh, the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. It's got to be the morning after if you can hold up. Which is, I, I never knew about that song until South Park did it. <laughs> <laughs> With the Succubus episode, remember? <laughs> and the, the, how, you, how, you get, how you got rid of the Succubus was singing that song backwards. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be a morning after. <laughs> and apparently she did another song like that for the Tower Inferno. We may never love like this again. So she was like big on those movies. And funny enough, she hey, since we since we're talking about uh Superman the movie as uh, one of our watch alongs, she actually did a version of the, you know, Can You Read My Mind shit mm-hmm. as a pop song. Really? <laughs> it's on YouTube, dude. I've I've looked it up All several right, times. <laughs> Can you read my mind? Do you know what it is you do to me? <laughs> oh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is fucking the fun podcast, man. We gotta watch that, bro. You can fly, you belong in the sky. <laughs> you and I, we belong together. Uh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to level on this shit, but it's fucking funny. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna watch that tonight. Actually, <laughs> I'm posting that. I'm posting that on. The, I'm, post, I'm posting that on the Facebook page. I really am. <laughs> oh God. Okay, back to back to back to the podcast. Back to the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the reason they put her in that movie as a singing nun is because of the fact the other different songs that she did, like The Morning After and Shit for Time in Front of. So they wanted to do something like that, her doing something like that for their movie too. But she was like, she was singing, well, she was singing Respect. Yeah. R-E-F-P-C-T. what it means to me. R-E-F-P-C-T. Take care of T-C-P. Suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me. And making the dude throw Oh yeah, she's making the black dude throw up. Okay. I'm sorry, folks. We just having a good time over here, man. Hey, laugh with us, man. Enjoy, enjoy with us, man. We're having a good time. <laughs> I can't look at you right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 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 no, I didn't help at all. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Um, oh, shit. All right. So the <laughs> so close. Okay. So the one scene where they have the you know from uh, here to eternity scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, Messiah. Oh. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, this is what we needed right now, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. All right. <laughs> Okay. Comedy. All right. Okay. Whew. All right. So the uh, you know the one the one part where they have the from here from here to eternity skit where it's like uh, Ted and Elaine on the beach and they get hit by the waves. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's actually the same beach where Charlton Heston did the damn you the thing from uh, Planet of the Apes. You blew That's it up. The same beach. Yeah. Damn you. Hell. You blew it up, you maniacs! <laughs> you actually did it! <laughs> you maniacs! Damn you! <laughs> oh, Charlton Heston. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, there is actually a reference to the directors in the movie. When uh, you see the uh, plane flying low above the buildings and shit and knocks over a radio antenna, W-Z-A-Z, uh, w- all disco all day. Z-A-Z is the Zucker Abrams. Okay. That's, what, that's, how they, that's how they refer to themselves, Z-A-Z. Uh, I think they actually, in the movies, credited as Z-A-Z. Okay. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, they actually were, uh, they actually uh, expressed some disappointment in the movie because certain scenes and certain jokes uh, didn't really make as much an impact as they thought it would. I think this one was like uh, there's like somebody threw a spear or some shit out of nowhere and then like a watermelon fell down on the desk and they didn't get as much a reaction from the audiences that they were hoping for. Mm-hmm. So that was like that sometimes. If they did it today, they not have a protest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so Robert Stack, who was actually 61 at the time he made this movie, did all his own stunts during that fight scene. Oh, wow. Yeah, we used to doing the flipping and all that, all that shit. He's knocking out all the different religious groups that's coming up to him, like the High Krishnas and the Jehovah's Witness and like Church of Latter Day Saints. He's knocking them all down. Yeah, Robert Stack, man. Props to him, man. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We talked about this before, but for another podcast, Christopher Lee was actually offered Doctor Rumack. He turned it down, and he said that was a huge mistake. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> So he turned down Dr. Loomis in Halloween and Dr. Rumack in Airplane. You think after that he'd take every doctor role that was offered him? Actually, he did. Unfortunately, the doctor role he did take was in The Howling 2, Your Sister's a Werewolf. Okay, don't put in a sequel. (laughs) I mean, for starters, don't take the doctor role in a sequel. It's probably not going to work out. Actually, he did in another movie. Gremlins 2. Sequel as a doctor? D- Gremlins 2. Okay, we're talking about the movie Worked Out. You don't like Gremlins 2? 
Look, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not a guilty pleasure, but I'm just saying, like, from a commercial success success point, it's not the most. It's not yeah, it was nowhere near. Yeah, it was nowhere near successful as the first one, even though arguably the effects are much better than the second. Okay, I'll give you that. Well, Rick Baker. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> uh, they actually, the directors actually wanted David Letterman to audition for Ted Stryker because they were friends with him at the time. Uh, they, they, they said they liked his reading, they, but they saw that Letterman was visually uncomfortable with acting. And they, he basically, you know, he was actually relieved when they said, you know, we don't want you for this part. Yeah, different uh, skill sets. Yeah. So it, it happens, you know what I'm saying? Um, also, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, are you a fan of any Russ Meyer movies? I think I might have seen one or two when I was in grad school, but I don't really, I don't really remember them. Well, for those of you who are not really initiated, Russ Meyer was a director known specifically for his uh, <laughs> his penchant for large-breasted women. Hmm. So, like movies like uh, Ultra Vixens, Super Vixens, uh, same thing, just lot, lots of lots of really big boobs. Uh, but one of his mainstays was a lady named uh, Kitty. Uh, Natav, uh, Natav Adid, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, she actually has a cameo in this movie. Uh, you know the one part where they're like in turbulence and it's like the jello shaking, you see the girl's tits shaking? Mm-hmm. That's kidding that David <laughs> Well, got her, what she, got her for what she was known for, right? So Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's her. So <laughs> that's funny. Um, now, when they actually approached Robert Stack about doing the movie, they wanted him to do Oh man, I think I lost you again. Hello? You there, man? Hmm. This isn't good. Well, how about this? This is Annie Oakley. Just gonna say hi while we wait. Be like Dr. Evil waiting for JD to come back. JD. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I lost you. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh. Yeah. I was just talking. So I saw I saw the dog. Like, where the fuck the dog come from? Well, I was trying to keep it interesting on my end because I didn't have anything to say and I don't know where you were going. So I mean I could jump in with a different fact, but I don't want to derail it when I finally got you back. So I'm just stating facts, that's all it was. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yeah. And uh, oh yeah. Uh, like a little riddle within a riddle here. Now, the uh, like we talked about earlier, the one scene where De- Ted and Elaine meet in, in a bar and they do a, a dance sequence from Saturday Night Fever, you know, to stay alive and whatnot. Now, at that time, Robert, uh, Robert Hayes, Ted, was actually on a show called Angie, uh, like a sitcom. He was like the boyfriend of the, like the main character. The main character is actually that girl from uh, Saturday Night Fever, the one the um, I forgot the actual her actual name, but she was the one that was trying to get with Tony the whole movie, the short chick. Okay. Yeah, it, it was her. She was a uh, she was Angie, and then like they having to do this whole dance, you know, Saturday Night Fever sequence, and he's mm-hmm. on the show with her at the time. So just weird coincidence, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, she so, can already dance, so it makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, also, uh, this, and this is a weird cameo, Jimmy JJ Walker. <laughs> that was a weird cameo. Where he's like doing the, he's doing like the engine work on the on the plane. He's like checking the oil and all of this. 
Now he, uh, you know, he makes the cameo as the windshield wiper and doing the, uh, the shit on the plane. Uh, he actually co-starred in Airplane Seventy Nine, the Concord, the year before that. So he's in one of the airport movies. And then by chance coincidence, uh, the producer of this movie wanted uh, asked, met Jimmy and asked him if he wanted to appear in this movie. Uh, even though he didn't take the part seriously, he you know he he was contacted for just a small walk on part. Uh, he thought it was just. <laughs> And he, uh, he actually, apparently, Jimmy Walker was only paid six hundred dollars to do what he did. Mm. Just six hundred bucks. So he didn't take it seriously. He could have got a bigger part, but he didn't take it seriously. So, well, you know, but I mean, that's kind of like a through line because um, that's what I was just thinking about. It's kind of like a through line in everything related to the kind of setup to this movie. So, like you were saying before, this thing was based on Zero Hour. Yeah, that was a Warner's film. They bought the rights from Warner's, and Warner's at the time thought it was just such a garbage property. They sold mm-hmm. it to twenty five hundred. So they got the rights to the film that they based this whole ridiculous thing on for twenty five. Yeah, they own, they own the rights to zero hour. Yep. I mean, like even adjusting for inflation. Okay, so even if they sold them the rights for twenty five grand or a quarter mil or two point five million today, like to just sell it totally for that and then have it turn into this is insane. True, I give you that. Uh, apparently, Sigourney Weaver actually auditioned for the role of Elaine. She didn't get it, though. Uh, it would have been different. Yeah, it would have been the same. Yeah. I, I, I like Julie Haggerty's little soft little voice. It yeah, just makes it. You yeah. need that. Yeah. yeah. Everything is fine and everything is under control. And we should be letting short. By the way, does anybody on board know how to fly a plane? <laughs> <laughs> like Sigourney That's one of my favorite lines of that movie, man. Sigourney Weaver's too tough for that role. Way too tough. Way too uh, tough. I, I can't. I couldn't see it either. Uh, this was the fourth most popular movie of 1980 in both U.S. and Canada. Uh, apparently, other people who were considered for Ted Striker were Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, uh, I'm trying to think who it was. Oh, Robert Wall. Uh, fucking what's his name? Uh, Knox was actually offered. Uh, well, actually, auditioned for Ted Striker. So I could have seen, uh, yeah, I could see anything. And also, they wanted they also thought about uh, Barry Manilow as Ted Striker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see your, you see yeah. your reaction. Right there? Yeah, yeah, they're probably um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I could have seen him act. I, I know, I know musically, but oh, I didn't mention this one. Oh yeah, no, who, who else auditioned for Ted? Bruce Jenner. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, that would have been interesting. So, Bruce Jenner, Pete Rose, and OJ Simpson <laughs> <laughs> walking to a bar. <laughs> They're all in a Zucker picture. Oh, man. <laughs> Shit, you know what? We could make that movie now. Yeah. It'd be, I mean, it wouldn't be Bruce Jenner, but I mean, we basically, you know what I'm saying? Like, we could make that movie now. We get Caitlin. I was, I was wondering where you were going. I was wondering where you're going with that. I'm just, I'm just casting. I'll let the Zucker. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I was including some of the, uh, you want to talk about some of the other old school actors who were initially offered this movie? Uh, Ephraim Ziblis Jr. Uh, who most of my who most of my generation would know is Alfred from yeah. uh, Batman the animated series. He's the voice of Alfred. 
uh, Jack Lord from Hawaii Five-0 and Jack Webb. They were all offered the airplane. Yeah. Uh, Joe Friday in the airplane. He was yeah. a big guy too. Yeah, I know. Because yeah. because a lot of a lot of a lot of actors, a lot of big time, you know, celebrities and stuff like they're you know average at best, maybe a little bit smaller usually. But this dude, he was like what, like six five or something? He was a massive man. Yeah, it was a pretty big dude. Like a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't give him the credit the credit for that. You know what I'm saying? Because like they, I don't know, it was the way they shot him, he didn't seem as big as like he actually. Yeah, they had everybody else walking around on a series of apple boxes. They didn't look tiny next to him. Crazy. All right, so uh, that's all I have for airplane. Now let's go to another favorite of ours, the Naked Gun mm-hmm. from the Files of Police Squad. Now, as the title of the first movie implies, it's actually a continuation of the occult series Police Squad that was actually on ABC for like all of one season. What even a season? It was like four or five episodes. It was a limited run. Very limited run. But they had some really funny shit on that limited run. All the episodes, I believe, are on YouTube. <clears throat> yeah, and they were all, yeah, yeah. Part of the thing is they, a lot of the gags that they did in the Nick and Gun movies, they actually started on uh, Police Squad, the TV series. Like the giant dude where you don't see his head, you know what I'm saying? And like <laughs> that guy, like he's in that shit. Uh, the dude that does all the gadgets, he's in Police Squad, the TV show. Uh, Norberg and Ed are also on the show, but they were cast as different actors. Uh, so, yeah, so they kept a lot of the same in there. And then one thing they would do on the show is they would uh, always have this big guest star, but the guest star would always be like a dead body at the beginning of the episode. So the most famous one, I believe, was uh, John Belushi. Yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a dead dude in a pool. <laughs> That's the big guest. Again. That was the big guest star. Before, but right before he passed away. I was gonna say that again. That's one of those like. Eh. Yeah, very ironic. But yeah, he was right before he passed away. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I think at one point uh, where they were trying to, uh, they actually changed the name from Police Squad the movie to Naked Gun because of the fact they didn't want to confuse it with a uh, police academy. They wanted to be his own thing. You know, the movies, those movies that come out, so they wanted to, you know, differentiate it. But they did add on from the Faisal Police Club. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, they've been trying to make it as a, they, like, they was disappointed by the uh, TV reception of the series. So they're like, you know what? But the, the critical reception among fans was huge. Like, you got, you got good, like, you got okay ratings, but the critical response is huge. They kept rerunning it because it was so okay. funny. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they decided to make a series of it. Uh, now, this, this the studio actually insisted on them casting an Oscar winner in one of the major parts, so they decided to go with George Kennedy, mm-hmm. won an Oscar, and also, like I said, they tried to get him for Airplane. Now they got him for the Naked Gun. Worked out just fine. Um, yeah, and uh, he actually apparently he was furious at the chance of making a fool of himself in Airplane, but that's what he really wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't want to get the wrath of Universal, so that was on the chat. Well, he got his opportunity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you know the uh, climax scene where they have Queen Elizabeth uh, watching, uh, you know, Oakland. Uh, uh, what is it the Oakland A's? Oakland A's. Yeah. The base, watching a baseball team. Uh, watching a baseball game, or whatever. Yeah. So what happened was, in real life, 
Queen Elizabeth actually did attend a Oakland A's versus Brooklyn Baltimore Orioles uh, game in Maryland, and she also met Reggie Jackson in real life. <laughs> so life imitating art. <laughs> and this is like years later too. And then apparently, Leslie Nielsen himself met Queen Elizabeth in two thousand five. Yeah, yeah. Well, he humped he he humped her impersonator in nineteen eighty eight, but he actually met the real chick in nineteen two thousand five. But that was, um, that was a character he was playing. It's fine. I love Frank Drebin, man. Frank Drebin was such a great character, man. It really is. And, uh, oh, yeah, the one part where he's, like, impersonating the umpire, and then he, he gets, like, hit in the face. Like, somebody swinging a bat and he hits him in the face. That joke was actually suggested by Mel Brooks. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, there's that. And, uh, oh, yeah, the chick that plays Norberg's wife, uh, Susan uh, Bobian. Uh, she would actually appear years later in the you know American Crime Story show, The People versus O.J. Simpson. Yep, and she played O.J.'s wife in this. It, yeah, I mean, you know, she just can't seem to get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> I don't want to laugh at that. Oh, she can't seem to get away from much. <laughs> but it's funny. <laughs> it's, yeah. very funny. it's also true. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> she's getting paid. It could be worse. <laughs> could be a lot it, worse. It, it could be a lot worse. I agree. <laughs> what the fuck, AJ? I said I called you OJ. <laughs> What the fuck, OJ? Oh, sorry, AJ. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay. Now, getting back to the movie. Now, uh, the one scene where I, well, the scene I love, too, where uh, Frank Drebin's talk, where they talk about shape, Frank, uh, Frank Drebin shooting some uh, actors in a park. Now, I don't want the, uh, I don't want the same uh, thing to happen in whatever the district was. Well, I see five guys stabbing a guy in the middle of a park. I shoot the bastards. That's my policy. That was a that was a Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar. <laughs> you kill five actors. Now that exact the whole exchange was, of course, a parody of Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood and John Vernon. And the whole get down was like a like I don't want yeah I don't want any problems like in the film conditions. Well, when I catch a guy about to commit rape, I shoot the bastard. That's my policy. Rape. How'd you commit? How'd you uh, see as that? Hey, how'd you establish that? Uh, well, when I see a guy naked <laughs> with a butcher knife and a hard on, I figure he's not our collector for the Red Cross. <laughs> and uh, Joe Vernon's like, I think he's got a point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's where they got that line from, from Dirty Harry, which is oh, I think great. Uh, and uh, the, <laughs> if you actually look on the uh, in the one part where they go to Frank Drebin's refrigerator, you see all the spoiled food and shit. You see his mayonnaise and it's dated 1982. That's when Police Squad was on there, 1982. So gross. And then another crazy thing about that scene where you like, you see him, he asking her if you want something to eat, and you see the cheese, the moldy cheese behind him crawling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow, like, ugh. <laughs> apparently, uh, apparently, uh, Weird Al. Yeah, can we actually use that same uh, little uh, exchange in a music video of his with the moldy cheese moving and everything? Yeah, but he uses 
something from everybody's everything else. I mean, that's kind of what he is. He's like a remix artist. Yeah. And also uh, another uh, <laughs> the gratuitous cameo, Dr. Joyce Brothers. <laughs> that was actually that was actually a, a spoof of a uh, freaking like uh, apparently she would appear on like the $64,000 question. It's just like a, an anonymous like source or whatever. Like, like, like what the fuck Dr. Joyce Brothers? So... <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was like all these like uh, different sports casters and Dr. Joe's brothers, like, like Dick Vitale, yeah, Dick Vitale, all those guys. Uh, <laughs> and also, uh, Ricardo Montalban, who played Vincent Ludwig, was picked because of the fact they love uh, the directors love uh, Rafa Khan, Star Trek. So they picked him from that. We are still going to watch that. You're going to watch that movie, man. Yeah, because we keep referencing it in, in the show. But you got to watch that movie. It's on my list. That's right. That's so enthusiastic. <laughs> I got a long list. There's lots of movies and TV shows I still got to catch up on. I mean, look, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm good, but I got they keep making more, man. What am I gonna do? So, yeah, we, we talked about it earlier with uh, Freakazoid. Same thing. Like they Ricardo Montalban, they kept they kept asking them to do con. Well, and I was going to say the other thing, too, is I'm married. So now I not only have all, like, the regular geeky stuff I like to get into, but I've also got, you know, got to take turns, you know, got to share that whole thing. So, like, I'm watching old shows from the, the 90s and 80s that, like, I never really cared about before, but my wife's into, so I'm going to learn about it, you know, can, you know, that's how I get her to watch my shows. So it's, it's a give and take. It takes a little longer to get through everything. I got you. Oh, I got you completely. And... <laughs> and uh, the one part where uh, the Vincent, L- Vincent Ludwig character, Ricardo Montalban, offers uh, Frank Drebin a cigar, it's a uh, Cuban? No, uh, Dutch Irish. My mother was from Wales. That's actually real. Uh, Leslie Nielsen's mom is from Wales. So that's a real, that's a real life little, you know, nudge they put in there. Uh, oh, yeah. One, oh, yeah. Another thing they used to do on a TV show that they did not do in this movie, at the end of the episode, they would always fake a freeze frame. You know how cop shows are usually in like a freeze frame, like if someone's laughing or something like that. They would fake a freeze frame, and there would usually be somebody in the background still moving. Like they fake a freeze frame, and you see the janitor still like sweeping up and shit, and just looking at them like, "What's wrong with you?" Yeah, what's wrong with y'all? And they just like sitting there like, <laughs> they did, they didn't, they should have did it in the movie, but yeah, they didn't, they didn't. Um... <laughs> Uh, actually, oh yeah, another spoof they did in the movie that I didn't know about. Uh, the conversation between Ludwig and the uh, criminal dude, Pap Schmier, <laughs> in his <laughs> office. Uh, apparently, the whole thing about you know sensory-induced hypnosis is actually a spoof of a movie called uh, Telephone, where it was actually Charles Bronson. And given a, he was given a demonstration of drug-induced hypnosis. But apparently, it's a direct parody of that particular thing. So I didn't realize that either. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, and then when uh, Frank meets Jane, when he like he does like the internal like the internal dialogue or whatever the mm-hmm. narration, yeah. And apparently most of that was based on uh, Philip Marlowe in the movie Farewell, My Love, the Robert Meacham movie. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, it was yeah basically uh, old private eye detective film noir movie where he does the first person narration and stuff. He's like, you know, she had like, she had the red dress and like, her hair was the color of gold. <laughs> <laughs> I like listening to this and like she had long yeah she had long beautiful hair and she had the kind of legs you like to suck on <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and I get the second one too. He does something similar when he sees her again. Like she's the kind of, that's the, like she's so beautiful, and she had the kind of breast that make you say, "Hey, look at these." She's the kind of woman that made you want to get down on your knees and thank God you were born a man. Yeah, she reminded me of my mother. That's for sure. And then, and then right after that, uh, George Kennedy comes up to, hey, Frank, step out of me. You look at her like she's your mother. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what is they now with her? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we were talking about Jane. Jane Spencer in the movie was actually played by Priscilla Presley. Uh, you know who the first choice was? Mm. No, I, I don't. I said, uh-uh. uh, uh, Bo Derek. That would have made sense. That would have been good casting. Yeah, Bo Derek is Jane. <laughs> just, just seeing beautiful Bo Derek do some silly shit, just like Priscilla Presley does in this movie. So, I mean, the only person I can think of that was kind of on the same level, but a little ahead of her that, that got close was um, Raquel Welch and um, Mother Jugs and Speed. That's right, yeah. It also Raquel Welsh was in the third naked gun. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, and then she is a swallowing <laughs> she's a swallowing the microphone. <laughs> no, because he's it, it's supposed to be Raquel Welsh and, and Frank is supposed to be uh, Phil Donahue. Yeah. <laughs> and he keeps screwing up or whatever. And they're like, yeah, at one point he falls down, knocks her into the podium and she swallows the mic. <laughs> Oh man, that was funny. Uh, oh yeah, and uh, apparently, you know, we talked about the baseball game. Now, the baseball game is supposed to be, uh, you know, the California Angels Stadium, but in actuality, and very clearly, it's Dodger Stadium. Very clearly. Wants to drive all the way over to Disney. <laughs> True. Yeah. Plus, like, it's Dodger Stadium, so like, freaking, like, it was. It's still great to see, you know, what I'm saying, in the whole sequence that they have in the movie where. Uh, actually, funny enough, the end sequence where he gets, you know, he finally gets Ludwig with the poison dart. Yeah. And then, like, in the shit at the end where he gets hit by a bus, uh, he gets hit by, a, what is it? Oh, a truck, a bus, steamroller, and the USC marching band. <laughs> <laughs> While they play Louie Louie. <laughs> But well, but uh, more even ironic than that, that's actually the third villain in 1988 uh, in a movie to be run over by steamroller. The third one, because it also happened in A Fish Called Wanda, right? And and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And then by the time we the 90s, we're we're doing it in the most ridiculous way in Austin Powers. No. Oh. Get out of the way! No! <laughs> no! <laughs> Michael McDonald from Mad TV, by the way. That was yep. good. Yeah. <laughs> and I should, did I tell you I did a Mad TV skit with him? No. Oh, well, um, I went to a tape of the Mad TV when I was, I was still in the military. I was dating a girl at the time. Went to a taping through her. And, uh, they asked for certain people to come to the audience and do uh, like a like a little scene with uh, Marvin Tikva, his Jewish character. Come yeah. on, shall we? Come on. Yeah, so I did one. Yeah, come on. Come on, shall we? 
come on. Yeah. So I did a thing with him. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, it, it's funny because I'm sitting there wearing a Fantastic Four t-shirt. I don't know where that clip is. I, I, I've seen similar clips. Uh, apparently, he did it at different shows, like where he would uh, get somebody out of the audience and do some improv with them, and then like you know thank him or whatever for you know doing the show. So I've seen other clips of other people, but I haven't seen specifically mine. So I would, I'd Look, love somebody. That was actually one of my favorite characters. Is that and uh, Stewie? Yeah, I like Stu. I like I you know what character I really liked that I felt was underrated? The depressed Persian tow truck man. The which one? The depressed Persian tow truck man. Oh yeah. <laughs> you pick somebody up, put them in their tow truck, and one no matter what their life was like, his life was always worse. <laughs> and it's like it's like uh some some something slightly mad. Your life is even better than the depressed Persian tow truck man. I like the first person told you. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Another funny coincidence. Both Priscilla Presley and uh, George Kennedy actually starred on Dallas. Oh, yeah. At different times, but they were both main characters on Dallas. Huh. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's a funny little nexus. Exactly, yeah. Apparently, uh, Priscilla Presley played uh, Jenna Wade on Dallas from 1983 to 1988. Then she left, and then Kennedy joined the cast as Carter McKay from '88 to '91. And actually, she left. She left Dallas to star in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, not a bad call. Not a bad call at all. And this is a fucked up fact that I, <laughs> I knew you would get a kick out of. Uh, fun fact about uh, <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe she put this on IMDb. Uh, as of 2019, O.J. Simpson is the only cast member of the Naked Gun to be tried for double murder. Twice. Civil and criminal. <laughs> I think, I wonder, here's where they kind of let us down, though. The real question is, is he the only one to have gone to prison for a felony for robbing back his own Oh, shit. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, it's not on here, too, but it should have been. At this point. <laughs> you know what? Or maybe some other people just have better press agents that manage to keep them out of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All I know is if, if O.J. Simpson hired them for public relations, you probably shouldn't because man has none left. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's all I got for Naked Gun. Um, next movie, which is one we have not talked about yet, we should, Hot Shots. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't done, Hot Shots was not done by the Zucker Brothers, but it was done by Jim Abrams. Yeah. He would kind of strike on his own thing. The Hot Shots series is just Jim Abrams. Hot Shots and Hot Shots Bar- Part Du, both <laughs> Jim Abrams. Yeah, so kind of did his own thing. Chicken. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With the chicken. <laughs> yeah. But the first movie, Hot Shots uh, 1, was based obviously on Top Gun. Very obviously on top of that. So, <laughs> so, so they had uh, Charlie Sheen instead of Tom Cruise, and they had Carrie Elways instead of Val Kilmer. They had, uh, what's her name, uh, Valeria uh, Golino instead of uh, Kelly McGillis. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, uh, 
I forget the actor's name, but it was like the uh, it was a fat kind of a big dude who's uh, uh, supposed to be like the Tom Skerritt character, I believe. Oh, um, I forgot the actor's name. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head either. Shit. Yeah, but he's basically the Tom Skerritt character. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, the whole movie is basically a parody of Top Gun. And then they have one character, actually discussed this with a friend of mine because I knew we were doing the show <laughs> tonight. Uh, it was basically a parody of Goose, uh, Dead Meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was so on the nose, but so fucking hilarious. Uh, well, you know, like if most people who have never seen the movie, you know that one ancillary character in the movie where it's like his life is going in the right direction. You know, uh, he's about, you know, if he was like Boys in the Hood, he was Ricky. You know what I'm saying? He was, you know, football star, about to go to college, about to, you know, pop uh, into the NFL, make a new life for himself. He's that cop that's, uh, that's just going to retire in the next two days. He's, he's two days away from retirement. He's, he's got and, and his, that, his yeah. and, and getting that big property in Montana. And then all of a sudden he yeah. gets killed. That's basically <laughs> did me. <laughs> He's basically dead meat, yeah. And then I love how dead meat, all the stuff that was happening right before he goes on this plane, where he's like, he goes under like a ladder, you like uh, a black cat runs by him, and then his wife pulls out her compact and breaks him. Oh, I broke my mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's talking about like, you know, I, I bought all this property, we're gonna have a new house, and I just got, I just won a lottery ticket, a lottery tickets only. And also, I found out, I found out who killed JFK for real. And also found the cure for cancer. Also with me on here. They're like, you should, it's like, you, you sure you should keep all that stuff with me? I'm on an airplane. What can go wrong? <laughs> Man, that shit is so fucking funny. Who killed Epstein, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, all the horrible things do happen to him. And he ends up in the hospital. And they're like, you going to be okay? I'm in a hospital. What can go wrong? Next shot is his funeral. <laughs> Man. <laughs> but, it's a, but yeah, it has characters like that. It had, like, you know, uh, and Charlie Sheen is Topper Harley, who was the main character, you know, named after an actual type of a Harley, the Topper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, John Cryer as Washout with Walleye Vision. <laughs> it was crazy, like, vision where you're, like, seeing everything, like, like telescopically, like, they had a what? Christy Swanson is the one female. Uh, yeah, they had uh, Carrie Elway's. I forgot his name. I forgot the name of his character, but it's like uh, Val Kilmer, basically. He's basically Iceman. So, but it's Carrie Elway's, though, because it's like a British proper <laughs> And yeah, and then the running gag throughout the whole movie, he's like tripping by his chafing dish. And then I like how they finally asked him in the end, like, I want to ask you something. What was the chafing dish for? Oh, it's for my party. <laughs> I thought it was a crock pot. No, no, you're thinking of like, you're thinking of roast beef. No, no, no. You true about that chafing dish, though. <laughs> but yeah, okay, so uh, one scene that they do parody that, parody that actually uh, does go back to the bridge. Bridges family. Uh, and um, there's a bar scene where they had the uh, Valeria, uh, Valeria character uh, dancing on a, uh, singing and dancing on a uh, piano top, basically talking about, you know, basically making fun of uh, the Fabulous Baker Boys. Mm-hmm. 
Starbucks, mm-hmm. Starbucks, Starbo, uh, Bo and Jeff Bridges, and they had them, and she's doing the Michelle Pfeiffer thing. And I love how she's like being trying to be sexy, and then she follows the goddamn. <laughs> it's just so silly, man. Uh, <laughs> and uh, actually, apparently, this movie was so popular that it was actually chosen uh, by uh, for the 1991 Royal Film Performance Act by the Queen. The Queen actually liked hot shots. Or at least whoever she let her in her collection. <laughs> yeah, so somebody like hot shots over there, man. Uh, apparently, most of the air, aircraft carrier scenes is actually taken from another movie, Flight of the Intruder from 1991. Yeah. So they use a lot of that stuff. Uh, Charlie Sheen and... Again? They didn't have money to go out and get their own. It's a spoof comedy. True. And this is... Uh, oh, yeah. Then, like, he was still coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Charlie Sheen actually says during the, like, the flight scene where they're like fighting the enemy and he's like doing all these crazy tricks with his plane. Like, and he does like some shit where he does like a flipping shit with the, with the drip. Like, he says, I learned this from Paul Abdul. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, at the time, Paul Abdul was actually married to his brother, Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Yeah. Ironic. Well, I mean, it's nice when they can pepper in some of those real life things. Yeah, I mean, man. Like, that was what was so great about Lloyd Bridges' eulogy. Oh, <laughs> he, just, he just starts dropping all the names of the five families, like talking about the I, lot, like Barcelona. I was actually about to get into that. Yeah, he drops the names of the five families from the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the funeral too, where he gets like shell shook when he do the salute. <laughs> oh no, bang! He starts pulling the car and starts shooting at the color guard and shit. Have they noticed? <laughs> We gotta watch Hot Shots, bro. <laughs> Have they no respect for the dead? <laughs> Damn, I love a good funeral. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of which, Admiral Benson himself was actually offered initially to Leslie Nielsen. But he actually turned it down saying, I've done enough school movies right now. I'm going to take a break. Uh, but but he still was going to do more spoof movies. But of course, they offered it to Lloyd Bridges, who was also an airplane too. And same thing with Leslie Nielsen. Lloyd Bridges would do these type of movies to his death. I think the last movie he made was a uh, Mafia, which is actually makes fun of yeah, the like Austin's Mafia, or whatever it was. Yes, yeah. movie. Yep, that was his last movie before he passed away. Uh, <laughs> you know, respect for the dead. <laughs> I was watching when he uh my one of my favorite intro scenes in a movie ever was when he comes in like they do the like the he comes in from the plane he's like you but there's no ramp so he falls straight down and he always talk about like all the different parts of his body that are no longer really his yeah. And he's obviously scatterbrained as a motherfucker, man. <laughs> but yeah, such a great character. I love when he's like looking in the, uh, he comes and meets them for the first time. He's like wearing jockey pants for no real reason. And then like, <laughs> and he, looks at the, he looks at the crowd or like the guy, the crew members or whatever. He's like, I look at the, all the men in here and I can't think of myself what I wouldn't give to be 20 years younger and a woman. <laughs> 
<laughs> so silly, but great, man. Like, and then, like I said, delivered with that straight, you know, that straight intensity and shit. Uh, also, there's a gag credit at the end of the movie, like things you can do after the movie, and it lasts looks like a little thing. They also had really great gag credits from the yeah. Brothers, you know, so yeah, so just weird stuff like that. Man. And funny enough, uh, three of the cast members. Charlie Sheen, John Cryer, and Ryan Stiles from Whose Line Is It Anyway, who's also in this movie. They will all end up working together on Two and a Half Men. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan yeah. Stiles had a recurring part, and then Charlie and John were like two main guys. So Again, for a minute anyway. Yeah, exactly. For, oh, yeah. That's all another thing. Yeah. Uh, and then actually the song that the girl is singing on the piano thing, the, their mom actually sang it on the show. The man, I think the name of the song, The Man I Love. Yeah, that's the name of the song. Yeah, all right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I love how the uh the name of the sh- one of the names of the ship is the the SSSS. <laughs> so it's SS S dot S dot uh E S S E S. The the SSSS. I love little shit like that. Oh yeah, and also when they do it like the, at the beginning when he's like uh Todd Harley's like it is like Indian uh reservation or whatever, he's like having a conversation with the Indian chief and it's just complete gibberish. And at one point he's like naming like uh you know different cars like uh Mihaha, Winnebago, Dick Tong, Rickshaw. And he starts naming like different members of the Jackson family, Toya, Tito, Jermaine. Oh yeah, and then I think another thing they they start just start naming they start naming towns in Minnesota. <laughs> Mentota, <laughs> Arano, Iwatona. <laughs> like just names in Minnesota. <laughs> just weird shit like that, man. Hey, oh yeah, and this is another fun fact. Christy Swanson, who we talked about in the movie, the only girl of the crew, right. she would actually go on to star with Charlie Sheen in one of my favorite movies, Chase, like three years later. Oh yeah, that's right. The chase, yeah. The yeah. chase is the chase. For you, for those of you who have not seen the chase, the chase is a killer fucking movie. Yeah, it's good. And uh, all the rock star cameos, like you know, Flea and Anthony Kiedis, uh, Henry Rollins plays one of the cops. Yeah, no, it's a killer oh, movie. It's a solid film for sure. Yes, sir. First time I saw it would have been like maybe Comedy Central or something back on Basic Cable or maybe USA like forever ago. I watched it when it first debuted on, on HBO. Yeah. It's one of my, it came, quickly became one of my favorite movies because like it's in constant motion the entire movie. It's a car chase. Yeah. The entire movie is a car chase. So it's, it's a really good movie. Man. You have to get a chance to check it out. <laughs> oh yeah, and then since we talked about the funeral scene, that was actually at the uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. They shot it there. Yeah, they still shoot a lot of stuff there. It's kind of interesting, but I mean, that's just the way they are. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, that's all I have for Hot Shots. Now, those are our three main movies that we're talking about. Now, both of us have an honorable mention in terms of school movies that we both love. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you go first, AJ. Uh, uh, what was your honorable mention? Oh, my honorable mention, um, just pulling my notes here, is, uh, is actually um, uh, The Young Frankenstein. So Gene Wilder... Cloris Leachman, who, I mean, if you don't know, if, if both of those names haven't already kind of rung a bell for you, you need to sit yeah. there and look them up right away because talk about, like, comedic gods. 
I mean, mm-hmm. I think Flores is still out there making stuff today. I actually was fortunate enough about five, six years ago, I was working behind the, the scenes doing like an electronic press kit for a movie she was in. Mm-hmm. Woman still sharp as can be and freaking hilarious to work with. Yes. Uh, so anyway, so that's, that's part of why I went down to it. So if you don't know the, uh, the concept here um, behind it, the main thing you need to keep in mind um, is that, again, talking about spoof comedies, it's a spoof of the old Frankenstein movies. Um, so mm-hmm. Wilder is a younger doctor and he's always constantly correcting everyone. It's not Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. Frankenstein is the name. <laughs> <laughs> his crazy uncle has died and left him his property in Transylvania. So he has to go out there to, to go take over the property, which is basically being run by Igor, which was uh, Marty. No, 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 no. It's, it's Igor. Igor. <laughs> exactly. Igor. And he, he happens upon his crazy uncle's research um, to reanimate a corpse, which is played by Peter Boyle. And it's just freaking hilarious. I mean, you have like the spinning book, bookcase, you know, they have that old trope of like the hidden compartments and stuff. He gets mm-hmm. slammed between the wall and the bookcase at one point when it's spinning around. It's, it's absolute comic um, uh, mastery at a, at, at a minimum. It's about no other yeah. than that. I mean, it's Gene Wilder. Like, you just how do you mm-hmm. be? The the introduction scene with, uh, with uh, Frankenstein and Igor is like, oh, it's hilarious. Like, it's the back and forth, but because it starts so sinister, but then it comes really silly. Doctor Frankenstein, Frankenstein, you put me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Oh, you must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. I thought it was Igor. Well, you felt wrong, didn't you? <laughs> Uh, and then uh, walk this way with the cane, <laughs> stupid shit like that. And then you talk about Cloris Leachman as a uh, Frau Blucher. <laughs> and I kept, I kept wondering why they kept doing that. And then I looked it up, and Blucher in German means blue. <laughs> that's why the, the horses. That's why the horses were tripping. Oh yeah, because they 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 hate hearing. Yeah, of course they hate hearing. <laughs> Makes them think of the. Yeah, I love how, I love how after after uh, they go inside, Marty Feldman comes back out and does it. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, what's the name? Um, when he finds the brain, he's like, uh, like uh, what? That was the name on the brain? Yes, uh, Abby. Somebody, Abby who? Abby normal. <laughs> Let me get this straight. You put an abnormal brain. You had me put an abnormal brain into this creature. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the shit? Uh, uh, the werewolf thing. Werewolf. Werewolf. That wolf. Uh, what's the other good one? Fucking. There's so many good gags in that movie. But yeah, like I'm saying, no one of those great Mel Brooks movies. Uh, I love the Peter Boyle, uh, Gene Wilder putting on the Ritz. Yeah, well, and I mean, even earlier, I was going to say with like Marty Feldman with the hump shifting on his back. So as the hump back, oh, yes. his, his hump is constantly moving around from scene to scene. And when they're referencing in the movie, it was something like, uh, hey, uh, wasn't your hump on the other side? What hump? <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. I think Gene said this was his favorite or like one of his favorite films that he ever made. Yeah, you must have an amazing strong stuka. That goes, well, that goes without saying. (laughs) (laughs) 
So silly. Where fashion sits. Well, and then that whole, and the other one too, the uh, the whole uh, Adlid scene between Cloris Leachman and um, uh, and Doctor Frankenstein about the barn milk. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's so stupid. It's so it's just a bunch of silly stuff out there. I love, I love, I love young Frankenstein too. Do I love it as much as some of the other ones? I'll be honest with you, no. But I do love a lot of the gags in Young Frankenstein. I'm sorry, it's just my personal opinion. Uh, do I put like other movies like uh, I definitely put Blazing Saddles and Robin Hood Men and Tice above? No, Frank. Well, I, look, we both talked about it beforehand. Of course, Blazing Saddles ahead of it. Yeah. I like it. I, it. It's because it's so different from a lot of his other ones, even though obviously it's still the same. That's one of the things I like the most about it. Plus, yeah. the amount of talent you've located in one specific film. And again, it's nothing against Robin Hood Men and Tice. That's freaking hilarious. Well, yeah. How about I said we haven't even talked about Marilyn Kahn. We haven't talked about what? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's just exploding with talent in this film. Yeah. So it's it's kind of hard, but anyway, that's that's why for me it'd be uh, be an easy honorable mention uh, to go in for this side of stuff. And again, that's because we're going to do Black Dynamite separate. We're going to do Blazing Saddles separate. Yes, yes, we are. All right, now my honorable mention is another movie I would love us to do too. Johnny Dangerously. This is one of those few that wasn't done by the Zucker brothers or the Williams brothers or Mel Brooks. It was actually done by Amy Heckerling. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely a different movie. Uh, but like I said, starring Michael Keaton, uh, Joe Piscopo, uh, Mary Lou Henner, uh, Griffin Dunn, uh, Danny DeVito's in it. Uh, and they had this crazy gag with uh, Ray Walston as this like vendor. You know, the, the newspaper guy who gets killed. It's a running gag throughout the movie where this newspaper guy gets hit in the head with a stack of newspaper. He, he loses some one of his senses. Like at one point, he's like, uh, "Yeah, he loses his hearing, he loses his sight." And the last one, like, "Yeah, <laughs> like, like, I can hear again, and I can see. I can hear again, and I can see." But who am I? <laughs> It's a great running gag, too. But it, Johnny Dangerously is obviously based on the classic movies from the 1920s and 30s, the gangster movies like Jim Cag, the Jamie Cag, Jimmy Cagney, um, uh, Edward G. Robinson, you know, uh, those type of movies. You know what I'm saying? It's cutting, see, cutting. It's just those type of movies. <laughs> the stuff you see in like Buzz Bunny cartoons. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, that kind of the shit. The original Scarface. Yeah. Stuff like that's kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but yeah, it's very funny, very funny uh, movie too. Uh, actually, one of the very first movies to get a PG thirteen rating. So, well, because they just come out with it, not that much longer. It just, it, it, it just come out. Yep, that's right. It just it just come out. Yep. So one of the very first PG thirteen movies. I mean, way back when Stripes was rated PG, and there's like nudity and all kinds of stuff, not drug use, all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, the very first one to get PG thirteen, right? Shit. Uh, I do, but it just flew out of my brain. Um, was you it? Want me to give you a hand? Was it Gremlins? No, no. Gremlins helped inspire Gremlins and Indiana Jones, which we talked about, helped inspire PG thirteen, but they were not PG thirteen movies. The very, the very first movie to get the PG thirteen movie, like I said, you want me? Yeah, get, go ahead, go ahead. Wolverines. 
Oh, that's right. Fucking uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Yeah. Red Dawn. Yeah, that was the very first PG-13 movie. With, uh, what's the name? With Charlie Sheen. Yeah. We talk about Charlie. Charlie Sheen, Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey. Yep. Wasn't Leah Thompson in this shit, too? I honestly don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, it's one of those other type chicks. It was Ali Sheedy or Leah Thompson, one of those type chicks. All right, but yeah, going back to this movie itself. Now, um, <laughs> now the actual DA in this movie is played by, um, the crooked DA is played by Danny DeVito. And actually, his headshot that they used is actually from uh, Taxi, a TV show he was on. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. He, I wonder, I really, I always wonder how old he actually is because from the, if you watch like Taxi and everything, he looked like he was in his 40s when he was doing Taxi. But then you look at like um, One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest, he looks like a baby. Yeah, but he's still got that receding hairline thing going. Yeah, but he, like he looks very young in the face and cuckoo's I'm just saying, one bald guy to another, he. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. The only reason I, long time. The only reason I got hair right now because I just don't give a shit. You know what he? You know what he could be? Could be like, um, could be like Steve Martin. Cause like, you remember Steve Martin went gray like almost immediately after high school. So maybe he's very young. Like yeah, just went bald. Like se- Twenty. He's been gray since the seventies. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So with with uh, with Danny, maybe Danny just went bald at like twenty. Maybe, yeah. Um, also, uh, uh, J- uh, Michael Keaton, excuse me, based his uh, characterization of Johnny Dangerously, like I said, on James Cagney specifically. Uh, for legal reasons, uh, they have a they have a song for the movie uh, "Where Are Yankovic's This is the this is uh, life. Mm-hmm. It's in the, it's in the theatrical release of the movie, but for some reason it wasn't uh, it couldn't be on the home video release for legal reasons. The original one, anyway. they probably didn't pay for the uh, um, for the licensing. They probably had a limited theatrical run. It's possible. Now, uh, towards the end of the movie, Johnny. Michael Keaton actually talks about going legit with his girl, Lil, played by Mary Lou Henner, also from Taxi. So, yeah. I don't, a lot of Taxi people in this movie. Uh, but at, at one point, they talk about all the things they can do, like cats and dogs playing around. And then at one point, he says, saying hi to a neighbor named Fred. That was a direct reference to Mr. Rogers, because Michael Keaton was a PA on the original uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a PA. Well, and he was living in Pittsburgh at the time. That's where Mr. Rogers was shot. So, yeah, he was a PA on the show. And actually, when Mr. Rogers died in 2003, Michael Keaton actually came back and hosted the memorial for Mr. Rogers. So, yeah, he's always had a, bit, he always had a soft spot in his heart for Mr. Rogers, which is crazy. Yeah, man. Um, actually, Danny DeVito didn't think he was going to be able to shoot this movie because he's also shooting Romancing the Stone at the same time. Okay. But he barely made the that one, man. Yeah, exactly. I said he did. Hmm? I said it's a good thing he did. Yeah, it was a good thing yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um that actually Amy Herklin was actually very disappointed with the reception of the movie because hey, it wasn't a box office hit. Like I said, I love it because of the fact I saw it on cable all the fucking time. And other kids like me love it too. But yeah, she got to the point where she's like, you know what? I don't want to write no movies anymore. She actually just stuck, just stuck to directing. I think the biggest hit she had after this was uh, Wayne's World. Okay, I'm, which, I'd take that. That was still a big hit. Exactly. And I believe she did look who's... I got to look it up. I believe she did look who's talking, too. The second one or as well? I, I believe she did the original look who's talking. Let me look it up. Amy Harris, 
I'm looking up something right now, folks. I'll let you know in just a second. I believe I believe she did, though. Did you talk about some other shit while I look up uh, Amy Hurst? So, uh, <laughs> so about that quarantine. <laughs> uh, my God. I was right. <laughs> I was right. She did do uh, Look Who's Talking, the original. And she did Clueless. So she actually's had a pretty solid career as a director. She had a great career. And she also did that movie, uh, Baby Talk, one with Diane Keaton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she did some other great movies uh, besides Johnny Dangerously. Like, so she's she just disappointed with this one. But she did some great shit. Look who's talking. Uh, and then the most famous one that she's known for, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But that was before this. Yeah, but I mean, again, that's her calling card. It is. A, well, Clueless, for generation, it might be Clueless. Well, no, but I'm but I'm saying like because you're I'm looking at it from if you're a producer, right, or you're a writer, or you're a director in town, like you, whatever you start out with, that's your one until you you hit it yeah. with something big. So that was your yeah. calling card. Yeah, she did good. Yeah. Um, now most of this movie, in terms of like the whole story between uh, Johnny and his brother Tommy, played by Griffin Dunn, is taken from another movie. Uh, Manhattan Melodrama from 1934, where it actually had William Power and Clark Gable as two brothers who were raised together, but you know both of them were on different sides of the fence. Whatever Johnny, in this case, was the gangster, and Tommy would end up becoming a lawyer and eventually a district attorney. And like the whole thing of the two brothers, you know, being on opposite sides of the law, they took they took that from Manhattan Melodrama. It was a good little, a good little plot too. Yeah, and actually, in both movies, the gangster brother actually roots for the DA brother yeah. to see. I want you to do a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, uh, I love when uh, when Johnny and Tommy are like on. Uh, oh yeah, they're like on uh, like the courthouse or whatever. Because Tommy, like Tommy's whole gets down throughout the whole movies that he wants to get laid. Yeah. So he, yeah. he has a, he has a little sweetheart or whatever, and like. Uh, <laughs> And then they finally do get married at City Hall, and then they decide to have a honeymoon in the broom closet at City Hall, where he accidentally overhears that Johnny Kelly, his brother, is actually the gangster, Johnny Dangerously. <laughs> and at one point, he leaves. He leaves in the broom closet. The girl is propped up, ready to go. He leaves, and then the girl's left in there like, what the fuck? And then this old black man comes in there. He, he, he starts seeing this old Negro spiritual as he walks in there. Take the whole G. Just by the hand, over closer to the door, he sees the white woman. Like, Hallelujah! <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Johnny and Tommy had this like little mock fight on uh, the steps of City Hall when he finds out or whatever. And then like, uh, and Tommy's like, "We're gonna settle this with our fists." And Johnny's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. you can't fight me. I'm too good." He goes, "I take my chances." And you see them about to fight, and then you see a vision of their mothers telling. Johnny, take a dive. He puts his hands down. Tommy hits him, and he decides to go legit. It's a, it's a nice little scene, too. And then you see them, like, hugging on City Hall. You see these two people, like, walking by. These two dudes, like, hugging on each other and shit. Like, <laughs> Johnny's like, hey, come on. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Very funny scene, man. Uh, but my favorite scene in terms of the whole uh, Johnny... Uh, Johnny Tommy dynamic is when he's trying to dissuade him because he wants to quit lawsuits so he can get laid, which is really stupid. But he, (laughs) 
So he Johnny brings him to his penthouse apartment to dissuade his brother with this ex- educational video that they prepared for the movie. Your testicles and you. And you see <laughs> and you see this like black and white thing, like a PSA, <laughs> where these all these people like in this hospital with like elephantitis ass balls, and they're like giant balls, and they can't they can barely move. Like, and then this is one doctor's like, hello. I'm Dr. Smiley, and I'd like to talk to you about your testes. And he puts a balloon to illustrate. Like, uh, let's say this balloon is your scroll. Sometimes it's empty. Sometimes blows it up, it's full. And sometimes takes a pen and explodes like a balloon. <laughs> this cartoon illustrates, you see a cartoon of like a cartoon dick and some balls. <laughs> He's like, living a healthy life, walking out and shit, and then you see a girl come up to him, he's like, <laughs> lazy. It's so <laughs> Watch that shit, you guys. Go look it up. Johnny Dangerously, your testicles, and you. It's fucking hilarious. And then Tommy gets expired by the movie. He leaves, like, Johnny's like, where are you going? Back to law school. <laughs> <laughs> Such a silly movie, man. Um, let's see what else here. Oh yeah. Oh, there's one great scene where they're like, uh, where Johnny Dangerously is like, you know, wreaking havoc or whatever. And there's a newspaper that says, uh, "Who is Johnny Dangerously?" And the sketch that they use is actually some Russell Stallone from Rocky Three. <laughs> <laughs> like from that poster, you know, where he's like shirtless and get, yeah, it's that same face. <laughs> they just do a sketch of it. That's Johnny Dangerously. <laughs> Oh yeah, also uh Brian De Palma is a huge fan of this movie. Which is cool, yeah. Apparently he laughed yeah. yeah. Apparently he laughed hysterically during the advanced screening for the director's guild. And like two actually two years later, or two, actually two months later, he cast two of the cast members, Danny DeVito and Joe Piscopo, in his movie Wise Guys. That makes sense. Yeah, it does, man. And also, there's a credit uh, to Neil uh, Neil Israel and Pat Proft, who did not write this movie. They were listed as special medical advisors. Now, for those of you who don't know who those guys are, Neil Israel and Pat Proft wrote the Police Academy. And actually, Neil Israel was actually married to Amy Heckerling at the time. <laughs> that helps. Uh, and also, it, this movie was actually released during like they had like a little cycle in Hollywood of gangster movies in the eighties, and I, I didn't realize this, but they did. Uh, after that, they had like uh, uh, you know Preezy's Honor, the Jan Nicholson movie that we talked about, mm-hmm. Wise Guys. We just talked about that. Harlem Nights, City Heat with a uh, uh, Clint Eastwood and fucking Burt Reynolds and Richard Roundtree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Angelou, of course, and the Steve the Steve Martin movie, uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, all came out around the same time. Well, and then Dick Tracy. That was like well, that was a little bit later, but yeah, a little bit. Actually, uh, I think around the same, like nineteen ninety. Yeah, I remember. I remember the Dick Tracy craze. I remember that shit. Yeah, I think I had hardcore. I had some kind of Dick Tracy toy. It was like. Like a yeah, they, they, they promoted the shit out of D Tracy. I had a D Tracy toy. Yeah, I, it was like I like it was like on comic books, and like uh, if you go to like Pizza Hut or some shit, like you get a D Tracy cup, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, they thanks did a bunch Batman. of promotion for D Tracy. <laughs> so what? So thanks to Batman, they put they put every movie that came out on 
Boys and shit everywhere. That's the that's the fucking uh, that's the model for this kind of like exposure. You said, yeah, Batman. That shit was on everything. <laughs> yeah. And then Toys, Star Wars took it to a whole new level as soon as Disney bought them. Oh my god! And then like like they did a lot of movies Star like Wars that though. Brand oranges. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of movies did, it, did the same thing. Terminator Two was the same way. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula was the same way. The marketing machine was crazy on those movies. It went nutty, man. Oh yeah. Yes, they did. <laughs> Dick Tracy. <laughs> we probably should do that one night. It's just a list of shitty movies. I didn't. I didn't like. You can see. Actually, funny enough, uh, one of the, the rival crime bosses of this movie is named Maroni. And funny enough, one of the crime bosses in the Batman universe is named Sal Maroni. So. Batman, of course, you know, Michael Keaton playing Batman, and then Danny DeVito as the Joker. Well, you know, uh, Danny DeVito, excuse me, as the Penguin. I, there I you correct go. Myself. I correct myself. I let you uh, do it yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, the internet would have did it for me. So, yeah, I corrected myself, fuckers. <laughs> oh, yeah, by the way, they are roasting the shit out of me for those uh, Barry Bonds. Uh, yeah, good. I look on my Facebook and I'm like, what the fuck, bro? <laughs> no, 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 because they come because they released it a couple of days ago. I haven't seen it yet. I didn't see it till today. And then I looked at the comments, I'm like, what the fuck y'all, man? <laughs> They're going in. Bro. After the roasting I got for that horrible photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it came with the territory. So fucking I'm I'm making a fool of myself. I might as well use this shit. So <laughs> but yeah, they they they're really <laughs> Uh, and of course, we just mentioned Batman thing. Of course, Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton the star again a couple years later. Uh, well, actually, almost ten years later in Batman Returns, and also most recently in Dumbo. They're in Dumbo together. Tim Burns Dumbo. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, they're in that together. And in the whole uh, Roman Roney, <laughs> I love Roman Roney's like butchering of the English language. He is horrible. <laughs> you sneaky bastard! Wait, wait, he, wait, he's calling. Uh, you summon them bitching. <laughs> you sneaky bastard. I'm gonna grind your boils. I'm gonna nail to take your dog. I'm gonna nail it to the wall. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you're just farking. Yeah, far- yeah, yeah, it's farking. Yeah. This is farking war. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I love his when they put him when they, Tommy brings him to court he does his like bullshit deposition lousy cork suckers you desecrated my Fargan rights this summer I'm in country was founded so that ordinary patriotic citizens like me will not be prosecuted by a bunch of Fargan assholes like yourselves thank you very much <laughs> I love how he's like naming all these different like uh, disasters that he's a part of, like making fun of the Saint, the Saint Valentine's Day massacre. Yeah. So he's so he's apparently he's responsible for all these other things. Like he's like uh, from the for the Mother's Day massacre, the uh, Christmas Day slaughter, the <laughs> the uh, oh yeah the uh, something something murder and the Groundhog's Day beheadings. <laughs> Yeah, and then like, he, he said, like, do you know these persons, this person, this person? He's like, I don't have a clue. And he keeps us cool the whole time, but then he hits him with a math question. If you're going to travel 
on a plane. It's 16 miles an hour. And you have to be there. And there's another plane comes in in the opposite direction at 14 miles an hour. Tell me, sir, what time would that train reach Chicago? That's how far I get stupid questions. He just starts losing. <laughs> and then you see this headline that says, uh, Moroni deported to Sweden. He says he's not from there. <laughs> it's a really funny movie, man. I check it out, man. And uh, another thing that I liked it is they, uh, uh, all the gangsters in, in, in the city stay at the gangster arms, a really upscale apartment building. And some of the other tenants include uh, Legs and Shirley Diamond, Pretty Boy and Pretty Girl Floyd, uh, Al and Cindy Capone, and of course, Johnny Dangerous. I love uh, there's one scene where he's at his house, and then Mrs. Capone comes up to ask to borrow a couple bullets. <laughs> <laughs> hey Johnny. Hey Mr. Capone. Hey, can I get some bullets? Uh we're kinda low over here. Well we're kinda low over here too, Mr. Capone. Oh boy, Al's gonna be pissed. So Al just gonna have to stay home tonight, isn't he? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's really good stuff. Like and I love he uh there's one scene when Johnny's like talking about like how it was life of a gangster. He's like, we're like uh guys like me, we're like we're like shooting stars. And we go up and sail across the sky, and then we plunge to earth and disappear. Jesus Christ, I'm starting to progress myself. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's a really great scene. Oh, yeah, I didn't didn't notice this either. Uh, Peter Boyle and Michael Keaton will actually star again a couple years later in a movie, The Dream Team. You remember that movie? Oh, yeah, that one's great. Yeah, with Michael Keaton... Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Stephen First, and Peter Boyle, and they're like three, they're four mental patients who like, uh, like they have a little trip in the town, but then they end up in like a murder investigation. They end up like each going yeah, around the city. Their, their doctor gets like, gets killed or hurt or something, ends up like getting yeah. taken out of the equation. So they're trying to find their way home on their own. And they're framed for it. So, they, but they, they, they each, they each like uh, go across the city and they, they, all, they all have something wrong with them. I believe uh, Michael Keaton's character is like a compulsive liar. Something like that. Something like that. And then for some reason, like Christopher Lloyd, like he always pretends he's a doctor. Yeah. It's it's a great, great, great movie. And also, Christopher Lloyd, also on the floor of the Cougar's Nest. Yeah. He's an aggressive guy. You remember that? Yeah. So, yeah. I'll go to the Cougar's Nest, man. (laughs) And uh, the last thing is uh, the... Once recurring song for the movie is the Cole Porter song, Let's Misbehave. Uh, yeah, that's actually the ending song. Uh, they do it a couple other times in the actual uh score of the movie, like, yeah, it's always a Cole Porter's Let's Misbehave, and uh, yeah, it's a really good movie. Like I say, guys, if you get a chance, check out Johnny Dangerously, check out all the movies we suggest. They're all funny movies. Oh, they're Mike, yeah, they're all killer. Yeah. So, yeah, right, check them out. Enjoy them as much as we enjoy them. We go, we could go and go and go. Yeah, but we can't, we can't, we can't because we, yeah, we, yes. we, we, we have stuff to do. So, uh, but we really hope you guys have enjoyed this episode tonight. Uh, we enjoyed as much as we have. This is actually one of the more fun ones. I didn't, I didn't think we we're gonna be breaking up laughing as much as we did. Dude, we're getting into it. We're, we're not just doing the trivia stuff, and I actually kind of enjoy this too. And we can get into like scenes and scene specific stuff that we love because it's it makes it that much more 
fun for me for sure. I agree. I agree with that too. All right, so guys, uh, join us next time. We're gonna uh, we're actually gonna discuss between us our next topic for dropping the culture with JD and AJ. But until then, this has been dropping the culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD and I'm AJ. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Be safe out there. One two year thing. Bill Murray's talking about you might go through. Mm-hmm. When you go from being a teenager mm-hmm. or barely 21, 22, your frontal lobe's not even fully developed to right. superstardom. Right. We're talking about people who decided to spend their entire life not being themselves. Yeah. So it crazy comes with the territory to start with. Yeah. On top of it, sometimes you got to look at two professional, unprofessional behavior. Yeah. And when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking necessarily about the actors. Again, crazy comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. If you can find an actor who shows up and they're coming to work without an entourage, yeah. that is a very, very strong personality. They know who they are. Mm-hmm. They know what they got going on. It's nothing against people who have entourages. You know, I've, I've heard mixed stuff, good and bad, with, with a lot of people who have entourages. We'll mm-hmm. set that aside for a second. But when yeah. you talk about professional behavior from a director, a producer, a writer, a cinematographer, mm-hmm. that's a different level that you got to be focusing on and you got to be working for. Because, for example, like to go back to, uh, what was the, was it Terminator Salvation? Was that the one with Christian Bale? Yeah. Where he had to blow up. Yeah. So the behind the scenes, mm-hmm. what I was able to find out was going on with that whole thing was the cinematographer was his first film, first major feature. Right. He wants it to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Understandable. That's great. So mm-hmm. he had he had a stunt double, and I think he may have even had a, had a lighting double. So they're supposed to, and again, talking about being professional, what you're supposed to be doing in that situation is you want to have your light and everything set perfect so that when your actor comes out who's standing in the middle of fucking Hollywood mm-hmm. trying to pretend they're in a post-apocalyptic world with machines <laughs> taking over everything yeah. that they can stay in that frame of mind yeah. and if you come around you start fucking around with the lights and playing with this and putting a lighting meter yeah, in front you, of their you, face you're taking them out you're of it you're taking them out of it and again back to the insecurity the rest of it they're counting on you not to make them look bad because one bad movie at a minimum can stall their career at a maximum can ruin their career true Right, so keeping all of that in mind, you talk about from an actor or from a, a producer director side of things, if you're not functioning 100% on your own mm-hmm. professionally, you're going to run into situations where that crazy is going to come out more. And, you know, just as a, a different aside, I had a, a same teacher who was telling us this specific thing to watch for and to make sure we're doing from our standpoint behind the camera. Mm-hmm. She was doing everything she was supposed to. She tells us a story about an actress who flipped her shit on her, ripped her up one side down another, throwing stuff, freaking out the whole nine yards because she had to tell her, we don't have money in the budget to fly your husband out for a fourth time on this shoot. If you want to do it, I'll I'll schedule it for you, but you got to pay for it. Right. Totally reasonable. Yeah. But in that situation, again, we're talking in the world of crazy. You're going to run into that. So it's not to excuse Bill Murray and say that he should be taking sunglasses off someone, break them and throw them. Mm -hmm. But by the same token... It's crazy. It comes with the territory. Yes. You, you know who doesn't do that? Mm-hmm. The, the guy who's working a nine to five sure. for 30 years and retiring yeah. with a good pension and, and something for their family. Right. Two completely different worlds. Yeah. So. You just got to know what you're getting into. Like, uh, there's actually a great scene on Family Matters where they had Carl do, uh, he was like doing security for a movie shoot and they're like doing a cop movie and Carl's pretty much saying that the cop stuff was bullshit, like in a nice way, because it's family matters. Mm-hmm. But the director's like, uh, like you know what I'm doing? Yeah, I'm, like number one, you wouldn't do that, like because like, mm-hmm. like yeah, it gives them real facts. And the director's like, you're one of those guys with a, 
what do you call it? He's like, a real job. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so that's what you got to keep in mind when you hear some of this crazy stuff. And that's what you're, honestly, mm-hmm. that's what you're paying for because you didn't have that amount of crazy going on, especially in a comedy. Yeah. All right, well, it's a nice indie flick you got at Sundance that, <laughs> yeah. you know, nobody's going to watch. All right, now, uh, going back real quick to the Richard Dreyfuss thing. Now, Richard Dreyfuss said in 2009, again, about this whole thing, uh, talking about the whole experience of What About Bob. What about it? Funny movie. Terribly unpleasant experience. <laughs> um, we didn't get along, me and Bill Murray, but I've got to give it to him. I don't like him, but he makes me laugh even now. I'm also jealous that he's a better golfer than I am. It's a funny movie. Uh, no one has ever come up to you and say, I identify with the patient. They always say, I have patients like that. Mm-hmm. I identify with your character. No one ever no, no one ever says that they're willing to identify with the other character. Well, the other thing, too, though, because, again, I'm talking about comedy and, and mm-hmm. standard formulas of work. Mm-hmm. You can't pick. I, I've thought and thought and thought. I don't think you can pick a better straight man than Richard Dreyfuss for oh, this God, role. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's got, again... We can go down his film biography at some time. Matt Hooper, baby. Oh, guy's got chops like you wouldn't believe from a dramatic standpoint. Yeah. But in that film, that's who you should be identifying with. You should be like, I mean, you should either get to a point where it's like, damn, that guy just, he broke him, or you're going to be in a position like, I feel mm-hmm. free so bad, I've almost been broken. You get that needle in that shark skin? No, I can't do that. <laughs> but maybe if I get close, I'm going to jab in the mouth. That shark will rip the chip. You got any better suggestions? <laughs> <laughs> I love Jaws. No, I love the Jaws. That second half of Jaws is my like. Like I said, yeah. I tell people all the time, the second half of Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my two favorite Spielberg movies. You know the sad thing too is they've tried so many times essentially to remake Jaws, yeah. and it's never come close. Hell no, not even close. And look, I love Deep Blue Sea. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of things where they do like the first half was just like a this giant animal attacking people. They've done a lot of that. But the second half was just three dudes pretty much doing a Moby Dick with this giant whale. Nobody's been able to recreate that. No. And, 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 and even, the, yeah. even with as bad as the, the animatronics were and everything, it's still... But how brilliant they covered it yeah. up with the fucking barrels. Yeah. The goddamn barrels and the ropes. You see you see it, but you don't see it. I mean, honestly, it's, one of, it's the most frustrating thing, having gone through film school recently, is that you, you get... A sense of film history, but you very seldom, unless you're you're really lucky with a really great section and a great professor, mm-hmm. to get into anything where you really do deep dive on film craft and yeah. film history. Everybody's yeah. always talking about fixing and post the this, the that, the you know, the mm-hmm. being able to screw around with Render Man and create yes. a whole bunch of shit to cover it up. Yeah. Those practical in camera solves, which mm-hmm. especially if you're talking about as an independent broke ass mm-hmm. filmmaker. Yeah. That's what you need to know. I'm gonna learn the Indianapolis speech just for just for fun, <laughs> just for shits and You should, man. That's a great. I know one. most of it, but I, I I need to get it verbatim. But I like I I was able to do it with fucking Ezekiel twenty five seventeen for Pulp Fiction. I can do it with this. I can do it with the oh, Indianapolis. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now uh, going back to that, uh, Bill Murray himself, like basically him and Richard Drivers have have not crossed paths since they made that movie. But Dreyfus is gonna record said he's forgiven Bill Murray. Bill himself said when they were actually making the movie, uh, it's entertaining. Everybody knows somebody like the Bob guy. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss and I did not get along uh, during this movie particularly, but it worked for the movie. I mean, I drove him nuts, and he encouraged me to drive him nuts. So, uh, Now, in 2000, the director, Frank, the great Frank Oz, we mm-hmm. talked about ad nauseum doing the John Landis one. And we need to keep talking about because he's got a hell of a filmography. Yes, he does. He basically said about the movie, it was a very tense time shooting uh, What About Bob because Bill Murray... And the director and the producer and Richard Dreyfuss and me and Disney, uh, 
basically saying that we all had our own view of what to, to make the script better. Uh, it wasn't like out of mean spiritedness. It's just that everybody felt they had a certain way that the movie should be done. Yeah, the pressure to make the movie better. It caused friction and a lot of tension, and that's what I remember. But it caused to make the movie better, and it turned out okay, I think. Now, going to some of Bill's awards, uh, Bill uh, has a few awards, but he, like I said, it's not a really an award guy. No. Uh, but just going through some of the things he has been nominated for, he was nominated for the Oscar for Best Actor for Lost in Translation in 2004. He lost. Uh, he did win, however, the BAFTA and the uh, Golden Globe for that same role. Yeah. Uh, he also won two Emmys, one for writing on a variety series for SNL in 1977. And most recently, he won for a... Uh, uh, best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series or Movie on an HBO movie called uh, Olive Kitterich. And uh, that was in 2015. Would have been nice that. if he'd gotten a, a like, guest appearance Emmy for uh, his role on Parks and Rec. That would have been nice. As a corpse. <laughs> As a corpse. That would have been funny. <laughs> Thank you. And goodbye forever. <laughs> and also, this is what he thinks about the whole uh, awards thing. He said, I'm over the Oscar thing. I feel that if I, you really want an Oscar, you're in trouble. It's like wanting to be married. I'll, you'll take anybody. Like, uh, if you want an Oscar really badly, it becomes a naked desire and ambition. It becomes very unattractive. I've seen it. The nice thing is that I'm over it over here in Europe uh, making a movie, so I really don't need to worry about it. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's but that goes time. back to what we, we've talked about a hundred times. Mm-hmm. I mean, your, your goal as a filmmaker, as an entertainer, mm-hmm. should be the audience. That's right. Are they entertained? Are they buying it? Are they, are they engaged? And if you get the others, mm-hmm. that's nice. It's great. It's mm-hmm. always good to have a, an attaboy, a, a nod from the rest of you know our, our, our peers and stuff like that. But yeah. you, you want to make more. That's yeah. what it is. I mean, how many yeah. Oscar winners, they haven't made anything or they've only made one thing or a little thing because... I mean, I've often heard, what was it, uh, Superbad, right? They make that whole joke about Orson Welles. He peaked uh, too early. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so That's so why, why he ate himself to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see that, yeah. Like, say, uh, actually, John Landis said the same thing, too. Imagine, imagine making Citizen Kane in, like, what is it, 24 or whatever yeah. it was at the time? And then what, what do you do after that? Exactly. TV shows? Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, uh, going to some more of Bill's awards, he's, like you mentioned this a little bit earlier, he's actually in four films that have been selected by the National Film Registry yep. by the Library of Congress for their cultural, historical, and aesthetic significance to pop culture. Tootsie, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, and Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually came in sixth on Rolling Stone's list of the uh, greatest SNL performers of all time. He came in number six. Um, Came in number one, Eddie. I think I think I think it's somebody like Will Ferrell or somebody like that. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Look, I love Will. I know Eddie was up in the top five, but, but like, for I, God's sakes, man! I mean, yeah, I think it's Will. We're we're carving the Mount Rushmore of comedic actors, and again, I love Will, but. He's not going to come before Bill. He's not going to come before John Belushi. True. Not going to come before Eddie. Hell no, I ain't coming before Eddie. I love you, I love you, Will, but goddamn no, you ain't coming before Eddie, bro. I'm sorry. Okay. I mostly ahead. think he would agree with us. Yeah, I think he would too. Uh, he was ranked uh, 82 in Empire Magazine's 100 Greatest uh, Movie Stars of All Time. Mm-hmm. He ranked number one on Comedy Central's show Mouthing Off 100, uh, fi- uh, 51 Greatest Smart Asses of All Time. For Bill, sure. Bill Murray ranked number one. And again, I think he could go tit for tat with Eddie Murphy. Yes, he can. Eddie's oh, got yeah. great smart assery. Yeah. 
So Bill's like sly, smart ass, right? Like this, yeah. The, the, like, his will get missed sometimes. Yeah, and his, it's like, wait, wait, what? And this is more direct, whereas like his is more undercurrent. Like, like you, yeah, he'll he'll say it, and then you're like, what the fuck you just say? <laughs> well, and uh, and again, because I want to make sure we give everyone credit. Yeah, Chappelle's got to be in the top three too. Oh, he's a smart ass. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, as of 2015, he has appeared in three films that have been nominated for best uh, best picture Oscar. Tootsie. Awesome Translation and The Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, he's appeared in four movies that were in AFI's 100 Years, 100 Great Laughs, Caddyshack, uh, Ghostbusters, uh, Groundhog Day, and Tootsie. Now, I'm still surprised Stripes didn't make that list with AFI. Me too. I am, actually am too. Now let's get into the more interesting, more recent aspect of Bill Murray's life. His, uh, the Bill Murray stories. <laughs> now, These are fantastic. Yeah, like now, as you know now, Bill there's actually a book about it, The Tower of Bill Murray, where he kind of like developed I forgot the exact name of the it's some sort of like religion or almost like life movement where he, you know what I'm saying, like uh it, the whole thing about it is making spontaneous moments in life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And of course he's a improv legend as it is, but like he, that's his whole get down. It's just basically he doesn't he doesn't do what he does like wandering around the country just fucking with people just to do it. He does it because the fact he wants to give you he doesn't want to give you like uh, some shit because I'm Bill Murray. He wants to give you an experience, something fun that you can talk about forever. He gives you a memory. Yeah, he gives you a memory and a really indelible memory because it affects so many people. Sometimes he gives you a memory that you didn't even know you were given. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now um, you find out later. So right now I actually have a list of a couple of Bill Murray stories, and that's probably like the last thing I have unless you have anything. More. Nah, we're, we're getting close to it here, too. All right, cool. So uh, some Bill Murray stories here. First one, uh, in 2016, he actually uh, <laughs> threw two, three uh, cell phones uh, from a restaurant roof onto the ground because, of the fact, there were some fans that were a little too eager trying to get a picture with him. He actually was a gent and actually offered to pay uh, for the phones. Yeah. But he's like, just don't do that again. <laughs> and also in 2014... How'd you get that iPhone 11? Exactly. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. <laughs> exactly, Bill Murray. What happened? Threw my phone, but he bought me one, so... Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it works out. Yeah. Uh, in 2014, he was actually spotted in the crowd of a Kings of Leon concert, dancing his ass off, <laughs> and to which uh, member Nathan uh, Followell said it was one of the greatest highlights of his career. 100%. Yeah, and also they said the same thing. For he actually was uh, seen enjoying a uh, girl pool set at uh, South by Southwest. Uh, he actually was spotted uh, riding a kid's bike doing doing several branches of <laughs> several branches of Walmart. <laughs> Most notably in Southfield, Michigan, in 2006, uh, some dude named Jake said he was uh, wearing a heavily used um, firefighter's uniform, complete with oxygen tank. Which made the more, uh, which made the moment uh, a little more surreal for my taste. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2014, he actually crashed a random bachelor party, and they actually have this on on YouTube where he gave a lot of the groom, the uh, prospective groom there, and a lot of other guys there some very good advice. He said basically, uh, if you're trying to get married, go on a trip with your intended lover on a trip around the world. If you can, you can afford it, go to a place around the world. Go to places that are hard to get into and hard to get out of. If you still love that person after that trip, marry them immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really good advice. I like it. It's good. Yeah. I, I traveled with, uh, with my wife before we got married. It, it's... I, 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 you'll, you'll see it. Same, same thing. The people I live with now, they just got engaged. I just said the first thing I did, go on a trip together. Yeah, you got to travel. I mean, you have to have some stuff go wrong, see how you handle it. Exactly. That's exactly why I asked them to do it. And also, um, uh, yeah. 
So talking to that, like uh, the more one of the more famous ones, the one that kind of sparked off the internet about the Bill Murray stories, was he actually photobombed a couple's engagement shoot in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, the photographer was re- getting ready to shoot. He had this couple on his like stairs or whatever, doing cute shots, and the husband just kept laughing, looking over him like, "What are you looking at?" He turned around, ready, like the photographer turned around, ready to give whoever was the ride at. And he sees this Bill Murray with his stomach out, slapping him and shit, <laughs> making the guy laugh. And then he realizes Bill Murray is like, "Oh, hey, um, yo, uh, would you like to come in and uh, take a photo with us?" Sure. <laughs> so you go on Twitter and you can see this picture of this nice couple, and you see Bill Murray just sitting there chilling on the wall, <laughs> like no smile, no expression, just Bill just Murray. And then after that, he disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in South by Southwest, he loves hanging out there. South by Southwest in 2010. This is a really famous one. Uh, he was there. Uh, he popped into this place called the Shangri La Bar. He got to chatting with the bartender. Uh, I saw the documentary today. The dude's name was like Trevor. And like they, he was chatting up, he liked Trevor, liked Trevor's personality and shit. And like uh, he's like, "Hey man, I'm gonna go see the Jizzy. You wanna come?" Nah, man, I've been working for a couple hours. I gotta go get, uh, take my dogs out and shit like that. And he's like, "Okay, cool." So uh, Trevor left. He came back with the dogs to the place. Bill Murray came back. Actually, he came to the bouncer at the bar. Is like, "I hate you, to Trevor." Like, what you talking about? Bill Murray's in there asking for you. <laughs> like, he's like, "Is Trevor here? Is Trevor here?" And, I, and then I saw him. Like, "Hey, Trevor, what's up, man?" Like. And then the owner found out about this whole get down. It's like Bill Murray's. Like he kept uh, texting the owner the whole time. Like Bill Murray's actually here. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm right next to him. Yeah, ask him if he wants to bartend. And Trevor's like, <laughs> and Trevor's like, I don't, I look, I don't really want to do this, but the owner's asking me if you want to bartend. He's like, sure. <laughs> so Bill goes behind and then texts back. Bill Murray's bartending now. <laughs> so Bill Murray gets behind the bar. He gets a little bit of a lesson on how to bartend. And people are like going crazy. Like, oh, that's Bill Murray, Bill Murray. They're coming up with their money and shit. And, what, and Bill would go to the different people. And uh, they would say, hey, I want this and I want that. And he basically would take whatever the strongest liquor is near him at that time and just give him a shot of that. <laughs> a lot of it was tequila. He's just like, whatever they ask for. Like, can I get a sex on the beach? Shot of tequila. Can I get a, uh, you know, Rob Roy? Shot of tequila. Can I get a Tom Collins? Shot of tequila. <laughs> and people loved it. They didn't give a fuck. Nobody complained. It's like, fuck yeah, shot of tequila. Who's pouring you a drink? Why would you complain? And then right after that, again, disappeared. Uh, but yeah, same thing. They is an indelible moment, and actually, business doubled for the Shangri La Bar after that video was released. Um, in 2006, in Scotland, he actually uh, met a couple of Norwegian women at a bar, and he basically uh, <laughs> accepted an invitation to uh, accompany them to a party. And that's that's in the documentary too. He's sitting there like talking to the chicks or whatever, and he's like, you know what? I'd really hate to say this, but your 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 kitchen is filthy. Like, you know what? You ladies go ahead and enjoy yourselves. I'll clean up in here. So he's basically in the, in the kitchen doing these dishes at this house party and shit. And they're like, is that fucking Bill Murray doing dishes <laughs> <laughs> in the kitchen? And then right after that, again, disappears. Yep. yep. My, my favorite one, yeah. uh, not to get too far out of sequence here, but you know, since we're winding down, yeah. there was a guy fell asleep, passed out mm-hmm. at the bar. Mm-hmm. His buddies were there, opened his phone, mm-hmm. Took pictures with Bill Murray and him passed out on the bar. Yeah. Disappeared. Mm-hmm. It was like a day, two days later, the guy's going through his phone. He finds pictures of him with Bill Murray mugging with him while he's passed out. <laughs> so, yeah, another great story. Uh, there was actually an impromptu kickball game in New York. 
And now these, it was these girls playing uh, sock kickball or whatever. And one of the girls was like, oh, I'm about to kick. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to kick or whatever. And like, hey, this is one guy over here that wants to uh, get a kick in. I don't care. I want to kick in. And then she finds out it's Bill Murray. Like, oh, shit, let him kick. Yeah, let him kick. <laughs> and then they go in there. They play the softball. They play the kickball game with Bill Murray. And then the girl's mom's going nuts. She's like, uh, I'm sorry, could you get a picture with me? And then Bill Murray scoops the lady up and says, like, there's a picture with her like that. <laughs> and then same thing. The picture goes viral. Just like that, and then again, Bill Murray just disappears. That's, that's, uh, they all end with Bill Murray just disappears. <laughs> and uh, also, while Christian shopping, uh, Bill Murray held up uh, busy uh, Starbucks, uh, trying to persuade uh, basically a, a barista to slip some whiskey into his eggnog latte. <laughs> and eventually, the barista, the barista gave in. So there's that. And then Bill Starbucks gave, believes in service. And Bill Murray gave him this crazy tip. <laughs> and then the last one I have here is a. Uh, while he's actually causing mischief, uh, stealing chips and crashing parties and shit, he actually offered um, a parting shot. One thing he always tells people, whatever he's doing, some crazy shit, he'll tell them, nobody would ever believe you. And leaves. <laughs> so that's my last Bill Murray the, story. The towel of Bill Murray. The towel of Bill Murray, man. Dude, but, this has been a great episode. I really love Bill Murray, and I love the fact that we did all this research. And this was fun. This is a blast. This was fun. We got to do more of these, man. For sure. I really do. I, I love this shit. I love this shit, man. Well, the, uh, the little red bar is getting smaller, so that means we're getting close to the end. All right, man. So uh, this has been Dropping That Culture with J.D. and A.J. I'm J.D. And I'm A.J. And we'll catch you guys next time. Later. Dropping That Culture. Dropping That Culture. Dropping That Culture. Dropping that coach. 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 Dropping that coach.